This is the voice of the Report of the Week, signing on. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening to this newest edition of VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week. Very likely this show is going out either uh, the 25th or 26th of May, 2020. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, in today's program, there's just going to be some miscellaneous discussion, wide-ranging, and I hope it'll just be something enjoyable. Whether you want to listen intently, or just kind of have it on in the background, you can relax to it. I mean, whatever you want to do. I hope it is an enjoyable show, and maybe even mildly entertaining, or very slightly informative at that. Alright, on three notes before we get into the show itself... Number one, the issue that we are going to discuss after I get all of this out of the way is very serious. I discussed it, I recorded that segment, I should say, a few days ago. I've taken the action that I said I was going to, that's already done, and thankfully I haven't been hit with anything else, but we're going to see what happens. So, fingers crossed, but, you know, you'll be filled in when you listen. I mean, we'll just see, but I've taken every precaution that I can, and look, what happens, happens at this point. So, so far, so good, but I mean, we just gotta see. You know, you don't know what's gonna happen. You just don't. Secondly, we do have some fan art featured in today's broadcast, and I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, there are going to be three pieces showcased in uh, the broadcast. The first one that you're seeing right now uh, is credited to Jana in Germany, you could find more of her work on Instagram at, and I'll just spell it out, J-A-G-E-N-G-A-R-T. I would assume that's a Jagen G-Art. That's a J-A-G-E-N-G-A-R-T on Instagram right there. The second piece that you'll be seeing in the show uh, is going out to Gray Sky Man. That's one word, Gray Sky Man. And the third and final piece goes out to Troy. You could find more of his work at nitrocosm.com. That's N-I-T-R-O-C-O-S-M.com. It's just these individuals put a lot of hard work into this, and uh, they need to be credited accordingly. And uh, third and finally, uh, it's a strange offer, but if you're interested, uh, if anyone out there speaks Russian or Japanese, and you want to have your voice uh, over the international shortwave to uh, broadcasts that may reach that part of the world, uh, it would be 10 seconds of your time to just record a station ID in that language for my broadcast, but if that sounds like it's interest uh, of interest to you, you can contact me for more info at vorwinfo at gmail.com. And finally, listen into the broadcast. You know, you'll see what's going on right now. Well, I mean... Look, it could be very serious, it might not be, we just gotta see. But understand that no matter what happens, I don't care, this show is still gonna keep going. But the way that it can continue is with your help, with your support. Uh, it just, it builds one month to the next. And I wanna do more of these shows. So listen in, and if you like what you hear, you enjoy the show, and you're able to help it out, please consider it. The main YouTube channel is uh, not doing any better than it was in the last show probably even worse, and this channel might not even exist 
<laughs> soon, depending on what happens. So, please consider your support. You can donate via PayPal to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com or via Patreon at patreon.com slash the report of the week. And with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Listen in again. If you like what you hear, you enjoy the show, and you want to hear more of it, consider supporting, because that's how this all happens. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone listening. And I already know there's already been an intro, so let's just get right into it. This isn't the way that I thought uh, I would be starting off the show. And I don't know if it's the most important, because I haven't, you know, I, I have no clue. I never even made a plan for what the rest of this show is going to be about. As a matter of fact, when this segment right now is being recorded, it's probably a few days before everything else you're going to hear in this um, this podcast. Now, you might be saying, number one, why are you telling me this? And, um, you know, why are you, uh, why are you doing this? Well, it's because this came out of the blue. I had no intention to actually record anything today. But this... This is probably, again, I don't know, but very likely as of now the most important thing in the whole show because it impacts not the future of the show itself, you know, because I don't care. I'm just going to keep doing them. But certainly the distribution platforms, its accessibility, and maybe that'll come down to uh, its future. Certainly it would have great implications. And I don't know. It's one of those things that gives you a very uncomfortable feeling about the state of things right now. So, uh, hear me out. But I say this as a warning. Uh, If something happens to this show on YouTube, you're going to know why uh, in a couple minutes. And if it ceases to exist, again, you will know why. The show is still going to exist. I'm going to keep doing it. That might hasten its demise. Who knows? But as of now, I don't care. If they want to take it down, I'm still going to be here, and I'm still going to find a way to get them out. You can still find them on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Oh, gosh, so many other platforms. Google Play, though that's tied to YouTube, but maybe it'll still be there. Who knows? Uh, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, I'll get it to Patreon too, I'll, I'll even go ahead and syndicate it back on the International Shortwave, do that. But, you know the phrase, three strikes and you're out, used a lot of course in the world of sports, one, two, Three strikes, you're out. The game's over. It's done. Three strikes. That's it. Those are the chances that you got. Well, as of today, the VORW podcast 
channel now only has two chances left. Two chances, and that's it. Got an interesting email this morning. Now, number one, you might be saying, what on earth? What the hell did you do in order to get a strike on that account? Did you, what, what the heck were you doing? You know, I thought, I thought you ran a tight ship, review bro. I try, I try. I, I, I try to refrain from swearing. Uh, I avoid any copyright stuff, you know? Don't play anything. Any of the fan art that I, I post now is uh, with the permission of everyone. What the heck happened then? You know? I think everything that you say is original to the show, yes. And it wasn't copyright related. As draconian as some of those things can be, it wasn't that. I got this email a couple hours ago so ominously titled, Your Video Has Been Removed From YouTube. So, here's what it says. As you may know, our community guidelines describe which content we allow and don't allow on YouTube. Your video, coronavirus discussion, predictions, updates, and listener comments has been flagged for us to review upon manual review. So someone from YouTube looked at this and they physically removed it. They said, you screwed up, you messed up, we punished you for it, so you better watch out because you can't talk about the virus anymore, I guess or they're gonna take you down. They're gonna shut you down, whether you like it or not. Now, the video's gone. It ceases to exist. I don't know if anyone remembers that one. Uh, one of several coronavirus videos that I made back in January. So, this new rule that came into YouTube is pretty much if you disagree with the World Health Organization, they can remove your video. If you spread misinformation about the coronavirus, they can remove your video. Those are pretty much the two caveats for doing that. So, I still have the master file on my computer. I still have that original video saved, and it was a good one too. That's a shame. I reviewed the whole thing. There's no way to appeal it. The thing's gone. It's, you know, it's a loss. There's the strike. They physically, it wasn't like the monetization stuff where it's like, yeah, we'll, um, you know, we have our manual algorithm or automatic algorithm, is what I meant to say, review it, and it was a false positive and someone reviews it. This is someone that physically reviewed it and determined that this was on the grounds for removal, signed off on it, and that's it. The deed is done. What's done is done. One strike, two more to go, and uh, 
this channel is over. It's, it's dead. It's gone. It's never coming back. And everything on it is going to be gone. But the show is going to live on. And at this point in time, I fully expect these two strikes to come probably before I even finish recording this show. Now, maybe not. But I'm ready for it. And I am fully prepared for that to happen. But anyway, so I listened to the master file. I was thinking, well, did I say something stupid? I mean, you know, what did I... What did I... Uh, what the heck did I say? Because they don't tell you specifically, you know, what you did or what you didn't do. It's just the whole show. I guess the entire thing. Because I listened to it. And... This was early on. I talked about the coronavirus. I talked about the situation in China that we confirmed, that we knew. I tried to really stay out of it. And for the most part, I left the lines open to the listeners. Now you might say, well, see, there you go. Someone said something that they obviously didn't like. And that's why they uh, did what they did to you. Yeah, that's possible. Though, most of the opinions, probably all of the opinions, were not far outside the mainstream. There was no finger-pointing at the WHO. And look, I have my disagreements with them, but I'm not going to go and make a video um, saying that they're the worst uh, health organization in the world or anything. Um, you know, I think they've made a couple missteps here and there, but the WHO is still important, as is the CDC and all of these other uh, health organizations as well. It's all important. Always has been. And I think that a lot of countries have had their missteps in this. I think the U.S. has. I think China has as well. But... I'm not going to go out of my way to try to single out one or the other. I think every country has um, made, you know, some mistakes. And look, some have made more mistakes than others. And I'm not going to sit there and try to tell people that the virus is fake and that it's um, not real and that it's overblown. Nor am I going to sit here and tell people that you're all going to die from it. Try to... You know, I have my view of it. I think it's a real issue, a very severe one, but I'm not going to try to sensationalize it. But I listened to what the listener feedback was, and it's not any different than what you have now. You had people who, at the time especially, thought that it wasn't a big deal, and that was the mainstream opinion at the time in January early February, we were still talking about the one cruise ship, the Diamond Princess, that was there off of Japan. One cruise ship, one single cruise ship, had a, an outbreak, a very bad one, but that was it. I thought it was going to spread worldwide at that point, and that was a, it was a hot topic. People really weren't sure. There was a mix of feedback from people, average people, some of which thought that it was going to play out as most infectious disease outbreaks do, 
and it's not going to go crazy, especially a novel virus like COVID-19. That is going to go the way of the West African Ebola epidemic, perhaps spread regionally with a few worldwide cases and then peter out. That it might be like SARS, the original SARS, spread even internationally a little bit, but not amount to anything of significance. Or like MERS, flare up here and there, but not in any sort of big way. And this was based off of the info that we had at the time. And you also had people, I think that correctly predicted it, that said PPE is going to be an issue, there's going to be shortages, you have to be safe, you have to be sanitary, and you have to be ready for this thing to get big and become a global pandemic. Maybe it was because there was one email that talked about the Chinese Communist Party. I really don't know. And I will never know why that got taken down. And truth be told, that's the scariest part. You don't know why. All you know is that you did something that by these guidelines, they think you shouldn't have done. Personally, do I think I did a single thing wrong? No, I don't. But, you know, everyone says that. Whether they did something wrong or didn't. I didn't do anything wrong. You got the wrong guy. I'm innocent. That wasn't me. I wasn't there. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. Which people are telling the truth? Which ones really did or didn't do this thing? Some of them are honest, some of them are sincere, and so many of them are lying. That's not a valid excuse to say, I think I didn't do anything wrong. Everyone says that. But at the same time, I understand that one's definition of adhering to the rules or breaking the rules can vary. It varies in terms of the law. One state to another, one country to another. It varies even more so in terms of these rules and regulations online. One company to another and one site to another. And this isn't a legal matter. This isn't about law. This is about the rules upon which YouTube can set and enforce any way they want to. I have my disagreements in many a case, but they could theoretically make a rule that says uh, it's now, you know, a bannable offense to complain about the rules, right? They could do that. Again, I'd still disagree with that, but it's their site. They would be theoretically allowed to. So they can set something up and say, well, you're not allowed to discuss the coronavirus in this parameter. Let's say that they have something that searches for a certain word or whatever, series of words, they detect it, and... Well, yeah, theoretically that content was up, and it theoretically did break that rule. That's what happened. The thing that irks me 
is that when I made that program, that rule that it broke and now has given a permanent strike against the account for, that rule never existed. Back then, when I made that program, when I did that show, when I invited the listener viewpoints and opinions, you could talk about the coronavirus. Maybe you couldn't monetize the content, that could be a problem. But you could talk about it, and there was no rule forbidding you to discuss it in one way or another. And it could stay up on the site. So, it got taken down over something that wasn't even in place when I made the thing, and when I made the show. You think if I had known that this rule existed, I would have done things differently? You better believe it. But how could I have followed this rule when it didn't even exist in any way, shape, or form when this program was originally broadcast? So that's what gets me. It's one thing, if you even want to look at it this way, it's their site and it's their rule. And if today, with full knowledge and full understanding of it, I willingly said, yeah, I'm going to show them who's boss, I'm going to stick it to them and do this anyway. Well, now, should have known better. You know, that's why that happened. But it's just, to me, I feel like I, I did nothing wrong. And I truly believe in having a platform and an open forum for varied discussion. I don't want it to be one way or the other. You have to have a certain opinion in terms of the virus or else. I disagree with that on so many levels. And this doesn't apply merely to uh, just a virus, but it applies to political issues, to social issues, to current events, and to pretty much every single facet of life. I think people need to think freely, they need to think critically, and they need to think independently. And they should see the situation, understand the differing viewpoints, ideas, ideologies, and using critical thought, they should then go about forming their own opinion. And I think that leads to a more aware society. I think it leads to a more informed society a better educated society, and a better understanding society. That people need to understand the viewpoints and outlooks, see them, come to terms with it, and then formulate their independent point of view. Instead of just being fed one opinion and one opinion only, and not even being allowed to see anything else. Now, this all falls within the rule of common sense, meaning there are certain things that it's just common sense. Is it, you know, it's like saying, well, 
is it um, reprehensible if I just go and um, physically hurt or uh, kill my my family and everyone I know? Uh, well, yes, of course it is. Common sense dictates that. You know, but with certain things like complex current events, such as the coronavirus, especially a developing situation, well, when it seemed like it wasn't a big deal at first, and when all the mainstream news was saying, oh, this is only happening in China, it's, you know, more people die of the flu every year, and it's not as contagious as the flu, and, um, you know, you shouldn't worry about it, it's just going to be like SARS, and this is what this and this and this and this and this expert says, and don't worry about it. How is that misinformation when that's all that people knew at the time? And it was speculative either way. So, I don't think that I did anything wrong. They beg to differ, and that's final. And I respect that, I understand it. I've understood this rule, uh, you know, for the last few weeks. And that's why when it comes down to the virus, I just try to have fair and, uh, you know, hopefully sensible discussion. But back then, I tried to do the same. Clearly, there were some missteps. But let me tell you, it comes back to bite you. So you might say, okay, well, hey, maybe I hate the show. Shut it down. Kill the channel. Fine. But you also might be saying, well, that sucks, but... Look, um, you're doing things this way now. It seems like you're trying to understand the rules and navigate through it all. So why, therefore, are you so concerned about the channel and its future? Why? It seems like what's done is done and you're fine going forward. Because it's not what I will say that I'm concerned about. It's what has already been said. Meaning, and let's have a seat here and let's just look right now. Have the videos for the main channel open, which thankfully that's okay. But see, here's what the problem is. That original video was again from like January or very early February, very early on. And it took that long for this to happen. We have three more videos from that exact same time frame whose content is very likely similar to the one that got removed and flagged and striked. Three more. Three strikes and you're out. I've already got one of those three. With three more, all I can afford is one more. One of those three, it's gone, two strikes. Then the third one gets it, channel's dead. And it's everything is deleted, everything is uh, gone. So, well, what do we do? Because I don't want to lose this channel. 
probably will. It just seems like that's, you know, the, the course is set. And I can see those three videos being prime targets. Now I can go ahead, delete the word coronavirus from any of the titles, descriptions, you name it. But I think that their algorithm is more advanced than that. So I think I have no other choice but to take these three videos from January 23rd, the 31st, and February 9th, and I'm gonna have to make them private for the sake of this channel and just trying to preemptively uh, just try to keep the thing going. And that seems like the only thing I can do. I can delete them, but that just feels wrong. And I think removing the word coronavirus and leaving them up is too risky. So I'm going to remove the word coronavirus from those three, make them all private for, for the foreseeable future. I advise if you want to listen to those shows, you could find it again on all the podcast platforms, etc. At least it's still there. I still have all the master files anyway. But that's the situation, and that's why I am concerned. So that's where it stands. I'm going to have to take these measures. It's the best thing that I can do right now. And we'll see what happens. But at this point, I'll keep you guys updated, but I want you to think about what would the next alternate way to listen to the podcast be that's best for you. It'll still be there on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Casts, uh, Patreon, and maybe via the radio too. So have that backup means ready because it might not be on YouTube for much longer. Maybe this was just the only one. Again, maybe it just detected something in that one episode that kind of set it off. But when I still don't even know what it was particularly about that episode, your guess is as good as mine. So we're just going to have to see. We're going to have to wait and see. Some may wonder, do you think that they're intentionally doing this to you? You know, do they want to shut you down? I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. I think this is kind of happening to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, myself included. So, I'm going to make these changes, and we're going to see what happens. But this is something that you cannot forget. When it comes down to discussing this virus, whether if you want to do it on YouTube, be that if you want to make a video about it, podcast, radio show, whatever, watch your tongue and be careful what you say. I mean, tread lightly. And if you're not sure, 
then don't upload it. Because there's a chance that it's going to come right back around and bite you. So be careful out there because it's, uh, it's certainly a different environment. It's not the fact to me that there was even the strike and that the video was removed or whatever that even bothers me again. It's like, look, what happens, happens. What gets me is the fact that it was in violation for something that I had no clue it wasn't even a rule when I first made it. If it was a rule that I knew about back then and willingly broke, it's a different story. But the rule that it was, you know, considered as a breaking didn't even exist. So, hey, if I could have changed it and recorded it differently, I would have. But you can't go back. You can't go back and redo something like that. You can preemptively do things, that's what I'm going to try to do. But, I mean, we're going to see what happens. I worked very hard to try to get this channel up to the 60,000 subscribers that it has. It's the best platform right now for trying to get this show out. But we'll see. Will we lose it? Will we not? I don't know. There's nothing that can be done to fix what happened what's going to but I'm certainly going to try my best but that may not change the course of things it may not save it so we'll see as for shows now I'm still going to discuss the virus but again in the capacity that I have been recently hopefully uh, with a sensible attitude so stay tuned I'll keep you guys posted but not a way I wanted to start off the show but certainly very important, if anything, to let you guys know if there comes a day when you try to check out this channel again and there's an error that comes up saying this channel does not exist or has been suspended or whatever, understand this is why. So I'll keep you guys posted. And uh, those three changes uh, with the three shows there uh, they will not be available on YouTube any longer. But if you still want to listen to those old ones, including the fourth one that's already gone, you can find it on all the other platforms. This is VORW International. Well, here we are at this point. I will be more than happy to give a date check right now and a time check. Oh, I know. Yeah, we're going. We are going all out. All right, as for the date, right now I'm at the microphone, Saturday the 16th of May, 2020. Time is 8.48 a.m., yeah, a.m., 8.48 in the morning, or some say in the morning. Really haven't heard that many people actually say it that way. Sometimes you do in writing, but mostly it's morning. That's how I always say it. Where you, you know, no one ever even says the mourn. I've never, haven't ever heard that one outside of literature. But uh, here we are in the morning. I suppose early. I don't know. Early morning? No, no. I, w I would just say morning at this point. 
early morning I usually think of, you know, between the hours of like 5 a.m. and 7 a.m., maybe. I'm not really, you know, sure. I don't know if there is a definitive range for early morning, but yeah, just early in the day. There we go. It covers all our bases. Yeah, so here we are at the microphone. You might be saying, so, you know, you got the microphone, you're recording. What's on the plate? What's, uh, what's on the plate today? And, uh, surprised to see you're, uh, you're up. Yeah. No, it's, it's all good. I mean, I, I am winding down for the day, truth be told. I am. I, I woke up at around 8 p.m., now it's getting close to 9 a.m., so I'm definitely winding down for the day, for sure. But, I mean, I still I still have a couple hours left, I would say. Still a couple hours left. And I figured, why not? Why not spend it uh, doing, doing uh, some recording? Why not? No harm there. I'm feeling up to it, feeling good enough to uh, go for it, so let's give it a shot. So yeah, today I'm really just going to talk about various things. I, I don't really have much on my plate. I, it's not like I said I have this list of um, topics and talking points and things we're going to rant and rave about and do whatever. Uh, I don't have any sort of organized series of remarks. As a matter of fact, I don't have any sort of list of things to talk about because I don't have a, I don't have a plan. I just said, eh, I'm feeling up to it. So, uh, that's exactly what we're doing. We're feeling up to it, and uh, we're giving it a go. Giving it a go. But there's a few things, like in a basic outline in my mind, that I want to discuss. But otherwise, we're just going to see where it takes us. We're just going to see, really, what there is to talk about and go from there. So, yeah, here we are this uh, Saturday, Saturday morning. And <laughs> I, I do have... An update about the ants that uh, I guess I don't really know if anyone wants to hear it because it is uh, not necessarily for those that are uh, perhaps well when I say squeamish it's like if you're afraid of insects but I'm not gonna try to be in any sort of graphic detail but I, I mean I figure if you made it through the first part then heck you made it you you, you made it through that and I think it's an interesting story either way. And I mean, oh, don't do this to me, review bro. Don't do this. I, I, I have to. I have to. I have to. I have to do this. Yes, there's good news. The ending of the story is that I ended up getting rid of the problem. <laughs> Completely. So, you, you can know that it has, you know, for the most part, a good ending. It's not like the ants went into my brain and have taken over my mind, you know, and now I'm, I'm taken over by the ants, right? And I'm like a vessel to express their demands to the world, okay? They didn't get to that part yet, all right? Not yet. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, a year down the line or something, but <laughs> right now... Uh, the problem has been completely taken care of, and by completely, yeah, you better believe I mean completely. Because you remember how 
Heck, let's just go right there. Since I'm already talking about it, I was going to say, like, oh, I'll talk about the ants later, and I was trying to give a preview. But forget it. Let's, since I brought it up, and I'm starting to talk about it, let's just do it right now. So, as a little bit of background, because I know that not every person listening in right now caught the show that I did previous, uh, which is fine. I always welcome our first-time listeners or you know, intermittent listeners, people just kind of seeing what to listen to and don't really check out the show all the time. That's fine. Uh, I always hate it when people, when they, when they like, they assume that you know everything. I always hate that. Now, that's one thing to have, like, your inside lore, if you want to call it that, or what have you. That's fine. But it's, it's when... Maybe you're fully aware of the fact that not everyone who is there isn't on the same page as you. Or you could be unaware, but it's the fact that you treat the people who may not be on the same page like all condescending. I see it that way sometimes where it's like, oh, so you didn't listen to 130 hours worth of uh, shows to know what I'm talking about? Well, shame on you. I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm interested. I'm here. What do you, you know, what is this stuff? I, you know, inquiring minds want to know. Oh, you should go. You go listen to them and come back when you're ready. You know, it's, this attitude is. Um, you still see it. It's it's just weird. It's like, well, it's easy for you to say, I guess, but not everyone has that time to just go find it. You know, <laughs> some of us want to, just don't know where to look. So, anyway, I'm I'm off on a tangent already, but. So here's what we got. In the last show, I was talking about ants. I think I even mentioned it in the title, if I'm not mistaken. So I was talking, number one, about ants, how I just, I I like them, especially their communal aspect, that they tackle problems together, something that many people we seem to lack as a society. And... I mean, I like that. And my policy toward ants is that the outside, the outside world is their domain. If they want to live outside, then fine. I'll let them live outside. I don't care. If they want to have their ant hill, then let them have it. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me one single bit. They're important to the various ecosystems. I. Let them live. I don't care. They have the entire outside world to do their bidding, to do whatever they they want to do. It's when they come inside and cause issues there that I have problems. Again, they can live outside, but if they come inside, that's when they get a problem. That's when they become a problem, and that's when I will take care of said problem. I try to take care of it to the best of my abilities. And, you know, sometimes you really can't. It's in a place or whatever. It's so big or it's severe that you can't take care of it on your own. Or, again, if you are very squeamish, you know, if just... For some people, just seeing a couple ants kind of freaks them out, don't really want to deal with it, you know? And then I understand hiring a pest control exterminator, whatever suffices 
And as for me, I don't mind that stuff at all. I don't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Certain things can make me squeamish, but insects are really not one of, now certain kinds, kinds of insects, perhaps, uh, like centipedes, those things can give, I think, anyone the creeps, really, many people, especially house centipedes, those things are freaky, and they move so fast, like lightning bolts, they just zoom around, oh goodness, they're crazy, but ants, on the other hand, they don't really bother me, so I could deal with them, I can manage them, do what I have to do, and I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I'm too good for some exterminator, I don't need their help, I could do it myself, and then end up doing a terrible job, and only make the problem worse. I don't need their help. It's more along the lines of, if I can take care of it, I'll do what I can, and if it's beyond my control, if professional help is needed, then professional help uh, will be pursued. You know, that's, 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 where it, that's where it stands. But anyway, so, in the last show, I was talking about the various ants that I had to deal with over the years, and about a certain type of ant that I had recently had a run-in with and was giving me some trouble, that being ghost ants. And I talked about how I saw a few inside, uh, and eventually it got to the point where... I saw a good enough amount that there was a trail of them inside, and I followed the trail to try to find the source. And I tried to do that and sprayed at what I thought was the source, and tried to seal up the uh, entry point that I suspected it being, and believed that I solved the issue. So that's what you know. Now to describe gross dance to you, if you're not familiar with what they are, uh, they're very, very small, only a few millimeters in length. They're tiny little things, but they can move quickly, and their body is, I would say, semi-transparent. You can largely see through it, but they're not clear, but they have the tiniest little, like, I would say, like, brown, beige hue to them, but they're largely clear. As a result, though, on most surfaces, it makes them extremely difficult to see, and with their quick movements, you, you really can't see them unless either A, you have a very good light, or you're really paying attention. So that's why they call, they call them ghost ants, because they can be uh, undetectable in other circumstances. Which, again, for people who just get inherently creeped out by ants, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, was that itch? Was that itch uh, really an itch, or was it was it was it something else? How do you really know? <laughs> I shouldn't be saying those things. Um, but ghost ants are native to uh, mostly warm areas, uh, though they have been found in many parts of the United States. Um, but they are prevalent in places like Florida, Texas, um, parts of the southern U.S. But again, they could even be found in colder climates, but usually in uh, greenhouses. So, that's where uh, where they are. 
think they're all the way in Hawaii as well. So they are where they are. All right. So let's pick up with the chronology where I left off. I had thought that I was able to follow the trail successfully with the assumption that they were coming from outdoors. I think we all assume that at first. They are outside. They are coming inside. Stop the seal. Do what you have to do. Spray and it's, it's over. They'll go somewhere else. That can be true sometimes. And what I did partially worked. Because from that point on, I didn't see another ant inside the house itself, with the exception of one area and one area only. And believe me, I looked. I mean, in my free time, I scour, I scour the various things just for the heck of it. Why not? Just want to check. And nothing. And I found a way to make it easy to spot them, too, despite the difficult appearance. So, they weren't in any sort of kitchen area anymore, which is good. Usually that's where you find them. They're looking for the food. Nothing. Nothing there. Not in any other places. I would look around, nothing. So, at first I thought that they had been coming in from outside, and that was it. But there was one area, after I had done that, the next night at around 3 a.m., went out with um, a very bright flashlight. I mean, you shine it in your eyes long enough, and it'll probably, you, you, you know, it's just going to leave that impression in your eyes, and you're not going to be able to see straight for a bit. It's blindingly bright, which is good, though, because it's perfect for seeing those ghost ants, mind you. You could catch any little movement. And around 3 a.m. I went into the garage. Because that is where that trail initially had led. Into the garage. And then what I thought was to the wall. And, you know, well, they must have been going under that to, you know, come in from the outside or whatever. But I was wrong, see. The next day, I go into the garage and I see a new trail. Of, I would wager a fair number of them. And I employed the same tactic. Try to try to find where the trail goes. Because sometimes, and it requires patience, but if you follow it, you will find the results you're looking for. Not always. Obviously, the first time it helped with that problem, it completely did, but it didn't get rid of them completely. They were still finding a way in. So that night, I'm looking, and I'm, I notice another trail of them, not leading toward the, um, the door or anything, but it was kind of leading to this corner where there was, uh, I, I don't really know what it was, I, I really, I, uh, some, something that they were gathered around, I don't know if it was like some sort of small... I would assume it was some small crawling 
insect or something that must have died, uh, that they were all gathered around and, you know, that was their food for the day. So see, they weren't, they weren't going inside anymore. They were looking at this thing that had died and um, some sort of larger, again, crawling, some sort of beetle or something that, that died. And they were all around it. Thankfully, it was already dead. It's like they were, you know, like a horde of zombies or something, you know, like from The Walking Dead. It's not like they're, they're doing anything like that. But they were, again, in a good number, gathered around this thing. And, uh, you know, that was their food. It was their meal. So I see where they are. Now I decide, okay, I know that that's what the trail is leading to, this food source. But where is it coming from exactly? So I follow the trail. And it leads to this this bin not too large that has a box on the top of it and i see that it goes up the side of the bin and then toward the top and then down the other side and you're kind of ignoring the, the box on the top at that point, it looked like. So So to me, I thought they were going up the bin, kind of using it like as a silly overpass or something, going over the top and then down the other side of it, and then moving on to something else. But when I, when I kept following that trail on the other side of the bin, it would, it would start going cold. It would just see fewer and fewer until I couldn't find where they were going anymore. So... I sprayed the whole thing and I thought it was already I was starting to get tired I thought well I'm gonna you know maybe I'll go back tomorrow and uh, see what I can see once again so I go back the next night and again I do my search there's nothing inside everything's totally clear but in the garage once again I notice not a big trail, not a big trail at all. This one is actually much smaller, just a few. On the wall, again near that bin with the box on top of it. And the bin, to give you an example what I'm saying, like the, like by um, the size of the bin, it's like, I, I see one right here that's kind of the same, the same thing. More like, I guess, a tub. It's like, um, Here's the measurements on it. Why not? You could now you could get an exact picture. Uh, Twenty-four inches long, eighteen and a half inches wide, fifteen and three quarter uh, of an inch height. That's sixty-one centimeters by forty-seven centimeters by forty centimeters. So there, you, there you go. Now, now you can visualize the exact measurements. I, I say that as a joke, but just to give you an idea, when I say bin, it's not like. It's not like the coffin that I sleep in or whatever, you know, it's, it's, um, just, you know, like you could store, store some stuff in, whatever you want. And then there's a box that's on top of it that, again, isn't, it's much smaller than, um, than the bin that it's on, much smaller. You know, just like maybe shoebox sized, I would, I would say. So now you, you could envision there's the, the shoebox sized cardboard box on top of this closed plastic bin 
and it's like a blue color. The bin, the box is white. Just so you could envision, because this is, this is crucial to the story. You see, I'm not leading you on some, si on, on some sort of weird thing where, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to describe these two receptacles in great detail and now never, you know, just to waste your time. And then say, oh, but they were in the flower pot all along. You know, it's, it's like, then why did you waste my time for ten minutes talking about these bins? <laughs> you know, you could be descriptive, but sometimes it's to a fault. It's like, why are you telling me this information? I don't need to know this. Uh, but you do. This is, this is important, okay? Uh, but again, so I'm noticing only a small number, again, on the wall behind these bins. And that's not really a big trail, it's just a couple. I mean, it's not even a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm talking maybe 20 at most. Given their small size, that isn't a lot. For reference, you know, the previous night there were probably like 300 in total. So 20 is not a lot. Given that it was behind these bins, I thought to myself, well, maybe they, uh, Maybe they are behind the bins. You know, I saw that one of the bins was kind of pressed up against the wall. You know, the one on the bottom was, was there. I thought, well, maybe they're coming up from a crack behind them. And, uh, you know, they're just crawling up them. And, and you know, that's how they're getting to their, their source. So I spray that 20, get rid of them. I spray the crack at the bottom. And as I'm looking very closely, I see one or two crawling up the side of that blue bin. I don't know where they came from. There wasn't any sort of trail or anything. And they kind of go into the handle area of that blue bin and disappear. All right, well, maybe they're inside of that blue bin. So I take the white box that's on top and move it to the side, as I don't really see anything there. And very carefully, I spray the handles, I spray the perimeter of the box, I open it up. I spray the handles, I spray the perimeter of that blue plastic uh, tub slash bin. I open it up expecting the worst. And no. It was pretty much empty, as a matter of fact. There wasn't all that much stuff in it. And I think there were maybe three ants inside. Spray the inside, they're taken care of. I examine the uh, top of it. Oh, that's weird. Maybe they were just kind of, I don't know, doing ant things and just foraging and looking on the inside. And well, that's very strange, very strange. I take the white box, put it back on the top and call it a night. Again, starting to get a little tired. Just take a break. Then comes the third night. And now this is the big one. Uh, so again, I'm not gonna waste your time and say, yeah, and I did this uh, for seven more nights until anything happened and just, you know, go on some long story about that. No, the third night is, this is, this is the, the big one. Uh, and this is what finds the source of the problem and takes care of it in one sitting. So I go out there again and I made it kind of like a little routine. Why not? You know, just, it, it's something to do. 
I went back in, looked around. Now, by this point, I had realized that the area, of course, by these two, uh, you know, by the bin and, and the box on top of it, was the area where the greatest amount of them are, right? Because I had searched other areas of the garage and all that, and very, almost none, I would actually say zero, unless you were following those trails. So everything leads back to these two receptacles, and one of them had nothing in it. So you know what I'm getting at. Okay, so that third night, I'm looking around again, and initially, I see nothing. But, you know, you know how ants are. You can't just give everything a once-over and assume that it is free of them. Um, because you look closer, and if you suspect that they are there, they probably are. So, I look a bit closer, and I sit for a minute. And nothing on the wall, nothing really on the ground. Uh, then I notice, like, one or two again. Same type of deal, near the base of this uh, blue bin. But I knew for a fact, I checked the other day, and there were none inside. So, I keep looking. And I shift my eyes then to the white box. And that's when I noticed it wasn't a lot. Really, just one or two. That I guess maybe it's just the angle of where they were that I couldn't see at first. Climbing up the side of the box and then into it. Well, very interesting. And I was looking to see, did they come out? No. Then I noticed that those two that I initially saw near the base of the blue thing, the time that I had spent examining this white box, had made their way up to it. And those two as well climb up and in it. Well now, now this is interesting. They are going inside this white box. They are entering. They aren't leaving. I checked the blue bin beneath it. I checked all the spaces around it. I had sprayed the any, any cracks that I thought they might have been coming from. I even sealed one area up, and they haven't been seen in any other areas, but they're going into this one box. So you have to assume, therefore, that this is very possibly the source of it. So I say, all right, all right, let's brace ourselves. So I went, I um, kind of... I had a feeling that I was going to find myself very soon spraying a large quantity of uh, spray that probably isn't good for me. So I decided to take one of my uh, coronavirus masks, put it on for the heck of it. I know it's not perfect, but anything can help in these circumstances. Uh, put that on, put on uh, safety glasses, some gloves open up the uh, door, and I decide, look, if what I think is in this box is really in this box, uh, I'm not going to do this inside an enclosed space and let them all just disperse, and then you'll never get it <laughs> fixed. I go outside, and I quickly 
get the box, bring it outside, get, you know, light, etc. All right, well, let's just do it. Let's find out what's in there. Now I open up the box and inside the box was like some old uh, Christmas ornaments and stuff. And at first there was like maybe a piece of, of um, you know, wrapping paper or something over everything else. And when I do that already, I notice as I pull the top off the box that on the inside of, of the, the top, there were probably, and I should say that this box again is very much like a shoe box in that you have the box and then you have the top of it that you could just pull off, you know, and it'll just come off on its own and you could stick it back on. On the top of it, on the inside of that top, there were, must have been like a dozen or so. And I noticed that there were a few on the wrapping paper. Okay, well, we got to take that wrapping paper off. Let's see what's below it. <laughs> yeah, unwrapping the big unboxing, right? <laughs> I un undo that paper, hit the jackpot. Uh, and I'm glad I had brought it outside because my assumptions were correct. It was only in one particular ornament. Just one. They only liked one, I guess. You know, yeah, forget all the others. They are ants of, of refined taste. They know what they like, right? You could even call them go-getters. They have this one ornament. They're not settling for any of this other stuff. They only want the best. So they, they found one. Theoretically, I guess it would make a good place for a colony of them, uh, assuming that it wasn't of any nuisance to anyone. The ornament was one that was still in its its package. So it was kind of, the packaging was layered. First, it was in like a little bit of like a cardboard type of, of holder, you know, kind of like a mini box, but not quite, you know, it like had places where you know, through the cardboard, you could see the ornament through it. Then inside the cardboard thing, was a plastic, enclosed plastic little case. And then inside of the plastic was the ornament itself. And it was a Coca-Cola ornament of all things. And thankfully, the way that ornament was, was it was faced in a way that the plastic sides that you could see right in was facing up. And inside that ornament, it was incredible. Uh, it was a concentration of them that immediately I knew that this was not just a small number of them, but this was the entire colony of them. I kid you not. You're talking, oh, so how many? Like a couple hundred? <laughs> no. No, not at all. I would be willing to wager, I would say at least well over 10,000, I would say probably 20,000. So many in there, mind you, you could not see the actual ornament through the plastic. All you could see was this moving, continuously moving 
now at this point tannish brown mass, comprised of the many thousands and thousands and thousands of ants living inside this ornament. So, did you kill it with fire? No, no fire was used. Well, <laughs> I guess to distastefully use the term, I guess I, I performed antigenocide because, uh, well, I'm not going to go into detail as to how that was done, but uh, I, you know, very carefully took the whole thing apart because when it's, you know, this plastic and it's enclosed and they're on the inside of it, you could spray the whole surface all you want. It's not going to penetrate through that and the colony is going to be just fine. So you have to first cut away the cardboard, which was done. Then you have to separate the plastic, which is the tough part, because you know that there's tens of thousands of them inside this thing. You have to open it and, and get, get it taken care of. And then the actual queen, with all the eggs and, and what have you, were inside the ornament itself. So there were, again, tens of thousands of them around the ornament. And then inside of the ornament itself, which was hollow, was where the actual queen and all of that was. But you could probably add another five to 10,000 inside there. Well, anyway, I was able to take it apart and neutralize every last one of them in a way that they neither dispersed nor covered me. And uh, I was able to do that uh, in, I, I feel, an efficient manner. So it's good, it was taken care of. I sprayed everything down. I got rid of them. The good thing also that that the, the spray that I use is um Raid brand spray. It's lemon scented though. The good thing is I've used various sprays that have sprayed the ants and then it leaves the poor things writhing there like for hours before they die and i feel so bad it's like maybe it neutralizes them but it doesn't kill them on the spot i feel so bad but this spray uh this raid one particularly with the ghost ants stops them and kills them on sight and i i know because i don't see them twitching i don't see them moving around or anything not even the slightest twitch or wiggle. I know that they are dead as soon as they are sprayed, pretty much. I imagine because of the volume of the spray versus the size of them, just overwhelming, it just does them in immediately, which is good. I don't want them to suffer. Look, if I have to get rid of them, I want it to be quick. Just, you know, as quick as it can be. So once I was able to ensure that they were all taken care of, uh, then I rinsed the entire thing out with water, got rid of all the, I, I don't know what even you want to call it, I don't know, the remains of the colony, washed that out, you know, made sure that the inside of that ornament was flooded out, there were none, it was gone, it was all taken care of, rinsed out the plastic, rinsed out the, um, the uh, 
everything. Oh, yes, yeah, so, so then obviously you took that ornament and you hung it up, uh, you know, very proudly, right? As a, as a trophy of your uh, great victory, right? No, hell no. Uh, even if the thing was now spotless, uh, I, I couldn't live with the thing, given it, you, you could never look at that thing the same way again for the rest of your life. I will tell you that. And no. And who knows also uh, if, you know, by scent, they would still be drawn to it. So, got a plastic bag, sprayed down the outside of it, sprayed down the inside of it, put the things in the plastic bag, the ornament, the packaging, everything that was associated with it. Um, put it in sprayed the inside of the bag, tied it up, closed it, threw it in the garbage outside, sprayed the inside of the garbage can, just in case they are attracted by smell or whatever, and they just go back to that, right? Try to avoid that as well. But I think given the amount, there probably aren't any left to even want to go back to that. So... I, um, got that, took care of that. Uh, yes, I did check everything else. I checked all the other things that were in that box, all the other Christmas stuff. And again, there were a couple very confused ants. You know, I searched through everything individually, but nothing. They had interest in that one ornament and that one ornament only. Uh, that was their domain, and again, they picked a bad place to move. If they were outside, I don't care. Let them live there. But, you know, you you just have to, to set up a line, and if they cross it, they cross it. So, problem is taken care of completely. Uh, it's been, I would say, five days since... A number of things that I had ordered from Taro, which is a brand uh, that supplies, like, ant um, bait traps and stuff, arrived. I didn't want to go to the hardware store, because I just, I don't, I try to minimize any exposure, um, you know, to the coronavirus that I can. Plus, the number of cases is starting to uh, rise locally again. <laughs> I wonder why. So I just don't want to risk it. And uh, so I ordered it online, and it arrived the day after I had taken care of the entire colony. But I know that these traps from Tarot work, because I, I had one once that I had sitting around. And uh, I remember, this was a while ago, there were a couple ghost ants that were, you know, going to that, but not any other baits. So I know they're interested in that one. Again, they have refined tastes. They only like certain things. But I set up a bunch of those in all various locations, and uh, every day for the last week I've been checking the traps, I've been checking the various places, nothing. Not a single ant to be seen. Uh, on the night that the colony was taken care of, I think I saw three very confused ants trying to figure out what happened to everyone afterward, but that was it, and nothing subsequently anywhere. So. We found the source, neutralized the source, took care of it, 
uh, you know, it was it was uncomfortable, but it was something that could be accomplishable, and I feel it was. So, that's the story. That's what happened. And at this point in time, uh, I feel confident, at least, that it's been taken care of for now. Now, will there be a time where future issues will emerge? I, I imagine so. But at least for the time being, that has been taken care of. When it comes down to ants, you have to be observant. And just because you sprayed or, or did something, don't write it off that you you got rid of them. Um, in this case, again, because in the span of, you know, uh, just in, in one evening, again, probably 25,000 were taken care of, then you might be able to say, yeah, I think I actually got rid of the problem. And I, I think that's the case. I feel bad about doing it, and I wish I didn't have to, but you just have to draw the line somewhere, and I feel I feel really bad about doing it. I know they're just ants, but still. You know, there might come a day when that could be said about us. You know, I mean, I feel bad about it, but it was... What else could I do? So just be observant and also keep in mind the source of your troubles may not be outside as one often envisions when it comes down to ants. Might be a lot closer to home and it might be indoors with you. As unnerving a thought as it is, you may see some unnerving things, but you're doing what you have to do to make sure that the problem is solved. And again, for me, it has been. I've set up all these traps, and again, in the last seven days, no activity on any of them. So I think pretty confidently that it's been taken care of. Sometimes people have said with ghost ants that if you allow the colony to expand, um, it could eventually have multiple queens with multiple nests. But again, I mean, I have searched and I have not seen any in any other locations anywhere subsequently. So I think at this point, this was the only one. And again, I know for a fact that the queen was there and they've all been taken care of. I, I, I Again, I wish I didn't have to do it, but needed to be done. What else can you say? So I'm sorry, ants. I like you guys. I think you're, you're you're marvelous creatures. But come on, you gotta be, you gotta be more aware. You have the entire world at your disposal, the entire outdoor world, and you had to go in and set up shop in a Christmas ornament of all places. Yeah, you know, what's done is done. Either way, though. <laughs> What has kind of contributed to my insomnia a little bit is uh, the other night, for some god-awful reason, um, when I was tired and trying to fall asleep, when I closed my eyes, the only, the only thing I could think of were all these ants, you know? This giant, writhing mass of thousands of ants. And I was, I was telling myself, I was actually telling my mind, I was saying, why on earth did you feel the need to envision this crap Right as I'm trying to fall asleep. Why did you need to think about this? That, by definition, is an intrusive thought. You don't want to think it. 
you have no intention to think it, and for some reason it happens anyway. Thought to myself, can you just stop? <laughs> and eventually I finally fell asleep, but uh, yeah, it's, at least it's done. Crazy though, crazy. I had a feeling they were in that box eventually, you know, that night, but you know, when, when you find out that that's true, but just how many of them that there were was what blew my mind. Because I, again, the other thing is that for such a massive amount of them, again, we're talking in the thousands, again, probably, you know, 20,000 or, or more. Like you could take the entire amount of them, these tiny millimeter sized ants, compact them, and it would still be like a baseball sized group of them. It's, it was huge. And um, you would think for that many, as you're oftentimes conditioned, that this box that they reside in would have been covered in them, right? Or that there would be swarming with them at all times, but it wasn't. That's why there were so few that at first I didn't really put the pieces together and thought they were just passing through it. Now I realize, once you realize this, the missing uh, centerpiece, all these ant trails were actually leading to that box. But I was just jumping the gun to more conventional solutions and assuming that that wasn't the case. Now I realize that it was. Instead of using the bin as an overpass, it was merely two different trails, one going outside and one going to that dead thing, etc. But you would just think that given the size, there would be many more uh, on the outside of it than there really were, but no. And not even on other things inside of that box. It's just like they were in that one ornament and that's the only place they wanted to be. Interesting. It was interesting to see. It was interesting to study them. And uh, it's a shame that we had to part ways. Now, that was the ant story, I guess, part two. And uh, hopefully the final part. You know, now eventually there's going to be part three, Revenge of the Ants, right? where uh, they are going to discover mind control powers or something and they're just going to they're going to they're going to get theirs one day so i'm just going to have to live in fear for the rest of my life <laughs> I, I, that it's a really bad joke but uh no yeah the ant the ant story part two part adults right you're listening in to vorw international the voice of the report of the week hope you enjoyed the little spiel and uh, we'll get to a couple more random topics but why not it's a story that i'd been wanting to tell and i was going to put it off a little bit but i thought ah when i started talking about it let's just go all the way and just uh, tell the whole thing right off the bat so i did um any feedback is welcome v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com that's v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com it's a really weird question, though I think appropriate on the subject. Um, if you had any in insect encounters of your own, that if, heck, if you want to share it, share it. I, I don't mind. I just shared mine. I've been talking about it for the last, let's see how many minutes I wasted here. For the last 50 minutes about ants. So if, uh, if there's any insect encounters of your own that you want to talk about, by all means, share them. Uh, I don't mind. Go for it. 
Uh, you can submit them to vorwinfo at gmail.com. Or uh, you can just write anything you want. Any random questions, topic suggestions, anything. Uh, you've always got a clean slate. There's no topic, so it's not like I'm setting the topic, you have to talk about ants. And for that, no. I'm just, it's like casual topic. It's like, it's like casual talk, I'm trying to say. Yeah, you got any stories about ants you want to share? Go for it. If you don't, that's fine. Don't bother me. But I mean, since I talked about it for so long, if you want to have your say and, uh, you know, tell your story, by all means, go for it. But no one has to. Zero people write in about that. I'm not going to be, you know, sitting there crying for 10 hours. It's like, fine. It doesn't bother me. I'm all good. So it's up to you. Um, but any questions, comments, pieces of feedback are welcome. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you, and uh, let's continue the show. So a few things that have been on my mind in recent, I guess recent times, recent days, whatever, since, uh, especially since the last show came out, so, you know, in this span of time, so to speak, you know, an interesting thing, and I think I mentioned it a little bit, it was kind of you know, really close to the end of the last show that I did, but it's still ongoing, and it's just, it's something that I even put more thought into, I guess, in the last, I would say the last few days, because it's it's very clear that this issue isn't going to clear itself up. Uh, anytime soon. That there's... That's one misconception, I think, that we've... We've had this whole time, this whole duration of the pandemic. Uh, is the fact that we, we think... Let's just say purely from an economic point of view. That if you begin reopening things, even, let's just say you play it safe, and it's just to a certain capacity, right? And when it comes down to reopening things, I've made my stance known, um, have become known very clearly on the matter. Uh, while I understand we cannot remain locked down forever, uh, we do need to try to, you know, get things going again, in a manner that is safe and practical and logical. Uh, and that involves compromises, you know? It's it's that simple, but saying, hey, you know, being able to open, let's say, our restaurant at only 30% capacity, look at it this way, that's a whole heck of a lot better from that point of view than just keeping it shuttered completely, giving it no chance whatsoever. And, um, you know, my viewpoint, anyway, in terms of reopening, uh, is that, you know, people have to play it safe. They have to be sanitary. They should protect themselves and others and do the right thing. And people need to be ready for the prospect that if, or, as I see it, inevitably, when the second uh, wave hits, depending on how bad it is, uh, we need to be ready to make more adjustments. Even if that seems like a regression, we just have to see, you know, we have to take it as it comes, play it by ear. 
But one misconception I think that had been floating around, because it's really a unique situation, it's a unique circumstance, A lot of places right now are dealing with financial hardship, especially uh, the restaurant industry, hotels, tourism, etc. But I want to focus specifically on the restaurant industry. Now, when you say the restaurant industry, I think that's a very broad term. The restaurant industry. Well, theoretically, you know, if one wants to use that as a blanket statement, saying that, then you have everything from, you know, Joe's Bagel Shop over to McDonald's, right? Which are two very different things. One would, let's say, be a locally owned, you know, mom and pop shop. The other is a massive, massive corporation. So for clarification's sake, when I say the restaurant industry, I mean local businesses, right? Independently owned, family owned, etc. Or smaller chains, meaning um, a regional chain, maybe anywhere from like, uh, let's say, you know, two to 20 or 30 stores. You know, 30 is on the high end, but that's where we'll cap it off because you have to you have to draw the line somewhere. Anything more than that it starts just getting bigger and bigger. So that's what we'll what we'll do when I talk about the restaurant industry. You know, the restaurant industry from a financial standpoint I think has always had it rough. And restaurants are notoriously difficult. Notoriously difficult. In terms of turning any sort of profit. I mean, (laughs) so many of them might have good food. They don't mean to be money pits. They just are. The expenses add up and add up. Sometimes a restaurant might have a good thing going, but, you know, for some reason, maybe they're in a bad location, the interest just isn't there. They still have to shut down, even when they do everything right otherwise. They just can't keep the lights on. Maybe a restaurant, you know, then you get the ones that fall into the downward spiral. They start off strong, and they're really um, putting a lot of effort into it, lots of work. Um, very good morale, good ingredients, good everything. And they're investing a lot into it, and it shows in the quality of the product. People are going there. The restaurant is getting more popular because people are catching on. They're saying, hey, um, you know, let's say, uh, whatever, <laughs> Mario's um, homemade pizza or something is, uh, yeah, that doesn't sound good. Mario's thin crust pizza. There we go. That's a better sounding name for let's say, an Italian pizza place. Mario's Thin Crust Pizza. You know, hey, this place is legit. They're really good. Yeah, this is some of the best I've had in a long time. You got to check this out, right? People are talking, getting the word out on social media. It's starting to do good. And while they're getting 
customers coming in, they're struggling to still break even. Maybe they're starting to turn a small profit, but things change. Suppliers change. They decide to change ingredients to something cheaper. Hey, maybe the one guy who, who prepared the food, who was just really talented and did a good job, um, you know, quit or moved on to greener pastures or whatever. Well, things start slipping. And then people start saying, hey, this just isn't, isn't what it used to be. And then fewer people start showing up again, you know, and fewer and fewer and fewer people go because the quality is slipping and then they end up closing down despite having initially been very successful. Now, you might not believe me. I, I understand. But you just have to look at so many of these examples of restaurants that have started, have tried, and have failed. You can read about it. <laughs> Tens and tens and tens of thousands in the United States alone. It's, and I, I believe, I remember reading about this, it's one of the worst money pits someone can get themselves into to own a restaurant. It can be a very rewarding job if you like the field, if you like food, um, you like serving people and putting a smile on, on people's face and, and just the whole atmosphere could be great. But it's not a good field to go into, I don't think, if you think that this is going to get you rich. <laughs> you know? So, you could even look at all the examples set forth, uh, you know, in the show Kitchen Nightmares by uh, Gordon Ramsay. Now, that was a good show. You know, I get... I never watched it when it came out originally, and that show was... You know, was going, I guess it was like in 20, when, when was Kitchen Nightmares a thing? Like, you know, brand new. Was that in 2011, 2012? When was that? Let's look real quick. Kitchen Nightmares. Because otherwise it's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> God. 07 2014, 2007. Wow, it's been a long, it's been around. Longer than I thought. Back in 2007, all I remembered was Hell's Kitchen. You know, that Gordon Ramsay did. Didn't know Kitchen Nightmares was around then. I would have, see, I would have guessed 2011 to 2014. Oh, that's interesting. When, sometimes I don't understand these, um, when I, when I Google it, you know, Kitchen Nightmares you know, talks about it, whatever, and I see one of the first thing that comes up, it says, people also ask. So this is what, is Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares staged? So, let's see. Was Kitchen Nightmares... Some of the things, I guess they say, they, they play up some of the reactions... But they say when Gordon Ramsay is there, I mean, he's the real deal. So that makes sense. He always struck me as very genuine. Which kitchen nightmares chef kills himself? Huh. Wow, that's... had no idea. Okay, and then it says, why was kitchen nightmares canceled? And it wasn't canceled, it just says Gordon Ramsay, actually. He was the one that just put the brakes on it. And he just didn't want to do it anymore, which I understand. 
So, Kitchen Nightmares is always a good show. And it just takes you, I mean, it takes a, a little look at so many of the issues that these restaurants have. Um, many of which, you know, just have either mismanaged, you know, just maybe they have internal disputes, bad staff, uh, very poor morale. Sometimes they just have a terrible menu, terrible food, terrible ingredients, you know. It's all these different factors. Sometimes the food is good, but they have terrible decor or whatever in a bad location. All these factors, they bring these restaurants down. Another good show I remember was Restaurant Impossible. Same exact situation. All these things. But Restaurant Impossible was a series that is more on like the the heartwarming side where it's like the one guy who who does the show and see now I got to look at that I I got to look that up too because it um cuz I just want to I, re- I want to remember the guy's name there we go right there at the top let's see who who did this Robert Irvine yeah you know cuz cuz the thing with Restaurant Impossible, it's just a show where, you know, this guy, he's a professional in the field, and he just wants to go and try to uh, help these failing restaurants. And see, the thing about that show, what makes it more heartwarming, is that you could tell that he genuinely, like, he is there to just help. He, he is there to try to make the situation better. Now, that's not to say that Gordon Ramsay doesn't, because that's what he's there for as well. But his methodology is different. You know, Gordon Ramsay, I mean, you know how he is. Uh, he, he, has, he has his way with words. And he can go off on someone like, <laughs> like nobody's business. But I like both of them. It's just two different ways of handling it. And a third series I would sometimes watch was Bar Rescue. The same exact type of thing, you know, bars and restaurants, they can have their differences, but same exact type of thing, failing bars. And um, the one guy is going in there and he's trying to, again, do what he can to fix them. And gosh, some of these places are just so far, so far gone, like they cannot be saved. I'll never forget the one episode of Kitchen Nightmares where where he tries to, the, 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 the pizza, I think it was in, it was in Denver, I think it was Denver, Colorado, and it was the most disgusting looking pizza I've ever seen in my life, it was repulsive, and no wonder the place was going under, it was, and yeah, he, he pretty much, again, he told it like it is, you know, it tasted just as bad as it looked, pretty much. And, uh, yeah, you have all these places that just aren't doing well. Now, think of it this way, though. Back onto my point. I got sidetracked a little bit, but these are good shows. I, I, I've always been a fan of them. Back onto my main point. All of these issues with the restaurant industry have been going on before this coronavirus pandemic. Back when you still needed to take health precautions, but people were not concerned about the spread of this uh, horrible infectious disease. 
and all of these um, risks didn't exist. And customers had more disposable income, people were more uh, eager to go out, all of these things, and they still had issues. The restaurant industry still had its struggles and was still considered a money pit. Can you imagine the state that it must be in right now? Because all of these original issues aren't going away. But now, capacity is lowered to maybe 20 to 30% of what it used to be. Many customers and diners are scared to even go there anymore. The economy is in the tubes completely. Research Main Street versus Wall Street. You know, just because the stocks are high doesn't mean everyone's, uh, you know, doing fine and is sitting on bags of money. You know, quite the opposite right now. And, I mean, you want to talk about the stock market, you know. I don't, I'm not even going to go on about the Federal Reserve this time around. But uh, the money printers, you know, they're doing their thing, working their magic. And, uh, I don't know, will that catch up with us, or is it just going to stay up forever? <laughs> yeah, you know. I don't know. But you have all these issues. Restaurants have to spend more now on additional cleaning supplies, uh, on personal protective equipment, uh, you know, which now has a pretty high markup at this point. You know, I had to go get some more masks. And, uh, you know, the, the latest ones that I got, just surgical masks, just to, you know, just wear, wear out and about. Uh, you know, there's a high markup. And I've seen places selling it even higher. Where, you know, 50 masks uh, will go for like 100 bucks. And uh, N95 masks are still... Some people are selling them for like 20, 25 bucks for one single mask. And then N100 masks, forget it. You're talking in the hundreds of dollars per per mask for one. But I mean, all these expenses, they, they add up. And how are they gonna be able to pay the bills? Pay all these other costs on top of these new ones when they're not running at maximum capacity? They're only getting a tiny margin of the people that they would previously uh, get, you know, before this ever happened. There was a good article out of Nashville, Tennessee, from the restaurant industry there. And they were saying, look, uh, we're glad that some of the restrictions are loosening, but we're still in dire straits here. Uh, we do not know what to do anymore. They said because what we need is 80% capacity or more to even turn a profit at all. We're only getting 20% capacity. What do we do? Well, that's a difficult choice. And my biggest concern uh, is that not that this is going to kill the restaurant industry, but there are going to be dark days ahead, I think, for that field. I think it's 
there's a storm brewing. Right now, it's like, we're there. And maybe early on in the year, just as this whole situation was beginning, you could just faintly, you know, see the storm starting to roll in. Then it started getting where you could start hearing some of the rumbles of thunder. Right now, you're seeing those black clouds rolling in. And you know that it's just going to start hitting you with this storm at any minute. I think that's where we are right now. Because I, I don't see any sort of way that a lot of these local restaurants are going to be able to survive this. Again, some of them will, but I think many won't. I, I, I wish I could say otherwise. I just don't see a way for that to happen. And what I was saying, I think some of the first things that I said to start off this little, this little discussion is that people think that just getting any sort of, you know, money in there is just going to solve the problem, but it's not going to. Again, they need 80% capacity to even turn a profit, and that's just, in many situations, can't be done. And even if all of a sudden they could, if lots of just the general public is, let's say, unemployed, or furloughed, or <laughs> getting, let's say, paid less, fewer hours, whatever it comes down to, and they have their own expenses, they have their own mounting bills and debts and all of that, that even if they're fortunate enough to have anything coming in, they need to focus on that. They don't have the disposable income to be able to go out and get this nice, um, you know, let's say $30, um, you know, premium pizza anymore. That's just off the table. It cannot be justified. Even if the restaurant is back at 100% uh, capacity, at least they're able to get that level again, they're not going to get those numbers because people just won't be able to afford it. So, it's something that I wish I didn't have to see. Because I think lots of restaurants may end up getting shuttered by this. We're already starting to hear about that, but I don't know if that wave is fully... I just don't think we're, we're there yet. And I think we're going to lose a lot of good local uh, restaurants that maybe were very near and dear to us. So, someone might ask, well, is there anything that someone can do to try to stop this from happening? You know, the restaurants that I like, well, one of the simplest things is support your local businesses. The ones that you like, don't just, you know, if you know that um, Bob's Bagel Shop has the worst bagels you've ever had in your life, and, you know, Big Bob, who, uh, you know, who runs the place is just a, a, a terrible person. I don't feel like, all oh, right, I'm just going to go there and I'm going to, uh, 
yeah, I got my stimulus check. I'm I'm gonna blow the whole thing there at at Bob's Bagels because he's a uh, local business, right? Yeah, no, the places that you actually like. But make sure you give them your business. They need it desperately right now. And you know, here in Florida, there aren't that many local businesses. Up in New York, there are tons and. You know, I've been hearing directly that a lot of them are just struggling. And, uh, you know, there's one local restaurant that I've I've liked. It was a very historic place. And, you know, they were saying that the, the owner there was in tears because might not, you know, be able to keep it going anymore after uh, decades and decades and decades. And, uh, you know, here in Florida, it's mostly all just chains. Um, one big restaurant chain, at least, you know, in this in this part of the state, because it's all tourism-based. So the local places can't really get a word in edgewise, really. It's just all these big, um, huge companies that have their restaurants here. But they're still going to take a hit, too. I just, I feel for the real local businesses, but there is no magic way to say... Uh, do this, and you're going to be able to uh, make sure that your favorite mom-and-pop shops survive. Because, as pessimistic as it is to say, I don't think it's incorrect to say that no matter what we do, some of them are going to go away, and they're just not going to be able to to pay the bills and survive this. But the best way to keep them going is when you're able to give them your business. That's the only thing you really can do. So that's just my two cents. It's it's a tough situation. There's not really much we can do as individuals to remedy the situation. It's it's just it's difficult, it's sad. And a lot of the places we, we really like they're going to get hit very, very hard by this thing. And I don't see any other way around it. <laughs> yeah, I know that was a real uplifting talk right there, but it's something that's been on my mind, especially after reading some uh, very informative articles on the matter. All right, and now we go into the next edition of the mailbag. Uh, this portion of the broadcast is exactly what the name implies. It is a mailbag show where we read listener emails. There is no set topic. This isn't any sort of call-in program. Uh, It's merely if you have any feedback, if you have any questions for me, any miscellaneous points you want to bring up. Do you have a story to tell? Do you have something to share? Uh, As you'll see, there are no topics. You can write anything you want. And I'll try to address it on the show. So again, any questions, comments, pieces of feedback, topic suggestions, uh, or just points you want to bring up or things you want to talk about. All of that is welcome and, truth be told, encouraged. All you need to do is send an email, long or short, however long you want to make it or however short you want to make it. Again, there's no guide to anything. Eh, Just write whatever you want to say. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com 
is the way to submit your correspondence to be read on the next show. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Once again, that's V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. So that's, uh, that's the feedback, the email, email for feedback, you know. You know what I was trying to say. As a standard disclaimer, it always must be said that while I make the best effort I can to read as many pieces of correspondence as possible, I cannot make a 100% guarantee that every email will be addressed in the broadcast. Some emails may be omitted. I say that in every show because I don't want to try to make a promise and say that I will read everything. Uh, only for someone to write in, and maybe their email won't get read, and you know, then people will be very upset. You know, you well, you promised. Why didn't you? Did you have something against me? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, sometimes just for the sake of timing or whatever, uh, you know. But I, I try my best, and just know that I try my best. I try to read what I can, and you'll see. I try to get to a lot of them. Uh, on one last note, before we get into uh, into things. Like I said in the last show, and I'll say it again here, any fan art is appreciated. Uh, as you see for this show, for those of you watching on YouTube, uh, instead of a picture of, of me, you know, either sitting there doing the, what have I been doing lately, the thumbs up, you know, at the microphone or something, usually in the shirt and tie. Always have the suit jacket removed for those pictures. And, uh... You know, other than that, uh, now we finally have some wonderful fan art that you guys can uh, admire instead. So, if you do want to get your fan art uh, just showcased is the best word for it, in the next program, as you can see again on YouTube, uh, just as a, as a great background, it's just, I think, a fantastic way to, uh, well, again, showcase your work to a wide audience. Uh, I know a lot of people really are artistically inclined, and it's something fun to do. I mean, heck, we some of us may have some free time on our hands with everything going on with the virus. It's up to you, but if you want to make any fan art, uh, you can make anything that you want. And again, you can submit it, just link the file as an attachment, or just send a link to the file hosting site that you've uploaded it to. Uh, and again, send any fan art to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. And again, I'll try to get it featured in the next show. And if you do want to be credited, I will be happy to do that. It's a way also get your name out there, right? No harm, no harm there. And uh, I guess on a final, final note, uh, if anyone who speaks Japanese or Russian, and I mentioned this in the beginning of the show, uh, because the whole thing is that I realized that there is one broadcast of mine that, according to the coverage maps, does reach portions of Far Eastern Russia and possibly portions of Japan. But of course, uh, due to language barriers, or maybe in the case of uh, Far East Russia, uh, lack of internet, but either way, it doesn't hurt to try to have a few announcements in the broadcast uh, that goes on that frequency that, again, might reach that part of the world. 
uh, in the native languages, again, Russian and Japanese, to see, hey, maybe there's some people who do listen in for the music, but uh, don't really speak English, but this is a way to still incentivize feedback and correspondence to that audience. So, what I'm just looking for is if, if there's anyone out there who can speak Russian, and again, or, or Japanese, if you'd be willing to record, and it's 10 seconds of your time. You might say, oh, you're exaggerating. No, I mean, I, I literally mean 10 seconds of your time. Uh, a short announcement that I would play in the broadcast, just telling listeners, um, you know, for feedback and whatnot, how they can reach the show. And that's it. Your voice will go out, again, on multiple uh, international frequencies. Uh, and I guarantee, I mean, you will be heard in Russia, probably in Japan, very likely across the Pacific as well. So, if you just want to do it for fun, again, it's 10 seconds of time, it's, it's up to you. Um, but for more information, uh, you can just inquire at v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com, I'll send you some details, but there we go. Alright, on to some listener feedback. Let's give it a shot. Let's take a sip of water first. There we go. Now we're going strong. All right. Have an email coming in from Anastasia, who writes, Thank you for creating such incredible content with an excellent and unique commentary. I'm deeply grateful that you don't follow much of popular culture and instead have chosen to broadcast your own personality. You are a role model to me because it is difficult at times to be unique and not like my other friends. You have shown me that it is possible to be totally yourself and still be loved by a large amount of people. I love the radio show and your YouTube content, and I am interested to know what kind of music you enjoy listening to and what television you enjoy watching. Thank you again for being such a bright and positive beacon of light, especially during these hard times. You're a great creator. Well, thank you, Anastasia, for a great email and for your kind words as well. Uh, as, as I always say to all of these emails, and I say it very sincerely, it means a lot to me. And feedback such as yours, it really does give me that motivation and, and that inspiration to just keep, to keep on doing what I'm doing. Sometimes you know, analytics are what they are. Or even when the numbers are looking good, uh, you know, which for the most part they are, you still get the short end of the stick sometimes. And like these issues that I've been having with some of the shows getting taken down. Uh, and sometimes, even if it's just for a, you know, a short period of time, uh, you become despondent. And uh, you just even question, you know, is this even worth doing anymore it's like they want to you know you have these conflicting thoughts sometimes but then i see emails uh, from valued listeners just like you uh, who you know then you really you realize that these broadcasts really do have an impact that not only do people listen but people actually get something out of them so those emails are wonderful thank you so much First and foremost, it really is feedback like that that keeps this show going, especially in times like this, so thank you. 
Uh, now, secondly, of course, to your question. Uh, number one, music. All right, what kind of music do you enjoy listening to? So, when it comes down to music, my music taste has evolved a little bit over the years when I've, I've really I've kind of thought about it a little bit, and it has evolved slightly. You know, why not? This is a show to talk. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a timeline. When I, when I grew up, when I was young, if, if you would believe it, and I know I find it hard to believe, if you will, uh, but I didn't really listen to much music. For, again, most of the time I was, I was young, I didn't listen to music. I just, I wasn't a music person. Not like I, I didn't have the ability to, I just, I didn't, I chose not to. Uh, starting around 2007, 2008, when I first really started listening to music, uh, and that was thanks to FM radio. So yeah, even, even back then, you know, I was interested in, in broadcast radio, um, but back then, Again, 2007, 2008, even 2009, 2010. I had this MP3 player that had FM radio in it. And I would, you know, I had some headphones, and I would listen to the FM radio stations. Uh, in the New York area, of course, there was a lot to choose from, which was great. Because you could tune in and listen to all differing types of, of music. So I would listen to, uh, I remember Z100 for the hits, the hit music. They were, you know, your top 40 hit music station. I would listen to uh, a station that doesn't exist anymore, 95.5 WPLJ, that played like adult contemporary music, which was pretty cool. Uh, there was a more local station that was they played some good stuff you know I, w I would just scan around and just listen and even back then despite being younger i had insomnia even then and i would find myself awake at night even yes even on the school nights yes i wouldn't be able to fall asleep even though i should have been asleep i just couldn't <laughs> i think a lot of you guys know how it is you want to you want to get rest but you just can't it's like sleep will not come. And I would just be up late at night, you know, laying in bed at like 2 a.m. Uh, and I would have this um, MP3 player, you know, and I would just be listening to the FM radio late at night. And um, there's even one station from upstate New York that, you know, the signal was weak, but I liked what they played. And if I kind of held up the, uh, the MP3 player you know, slash radio, in a certain position, I could get it with just clear enough of a signal to be able to uh, enjoy it. So I was a big fan of FM radio, um, but especially I was interested in the hit music back then, all the hits, you know, whoever the heck. Let's even just look for, I would say especially like 2010. Let's just look and see what the, the hit, number one hits. One of 2010. I'm just curious what the artists were, and I could guarantee I listened to all of them. 
Yeah, like the number one hits of 2010, you know, Kesha, right? TikTok. Not to be confused with the the app, which uh, <laughs> I can't say I'm the biggest fan of, but who you know who cares? If you want to be a TikToker or whatever they call people who who use it like crazy, it's fine. Black Eyed Peas, right? You can't forget them. Break Your Heart by Tayo Cruz, featuring Ludacris, yeah. Rude Boy by Rihanna. Mm-hmm. Nothing on You by uh, B.O.B. I don't know if he's still a flat earther or not. And Bruno Mars. Yeah. OMG by Usher. Not Afraid by Eminem. California Girls by Katy Perry and Snoop Dogg. Love the Way You Lie by Eminem. Yeah, all these songs, I would always have to listen to those because I just I tuned in to what you know all the hit music was. <laughs> I guess he still is a flat earther. B.O.B. I guess, I guess he is. What else do we have? Yeah, Far East Movement. Pink. All all these, all these groups. Every one of those songs I would listen to. Because I just had the radio on and I would just listen to what they played, you know? So back then, I, I didn't really kind of explore the world of music i just i listened to whatever was thrown at me um but i didn't really mind it it's not like i was you know it was torture or anything i didn't mind the sound of the the hits from again like i would say 2007 to even 2012. Uh, so i listened to the hit music mostly again up until probably 2012 and that's when i finally started dabbling around in other genres. And that's when I started listening to stuff from the 90s. And it started with, like, the mainstream rock, you know. I was very fond of Third Eye Blind. They're a good good group. Especially their debut studio album, Third Eye Blind, with so many good songs on it. From Semi-Charmed Life to Graduate, How's It Gonna Be?, Uh, To Jumper, of course, that's a a very, probably one of their most well-known songs. But there's other good ones as well, uh, such as Motorcycle Drive-By and Narcolepsy, which those two stylistically, they start off slow and more on the lines of a, I would say, very mellow acoustic selection. But then it builds on itself, and then after a few minutes, it just turns into a full-blown, you know, heavy alternative rock selection and just a transformation in those songs is great too but i would really say and that their debut album third eye blind had so many good songs and that's probably how i discovered music from the 90s i just i remember the first one of theirs that i ever heard was semi-charmed life and i really liked the way that it sounded and i thought gosh i like this sound i gotta find more more like this so I looked up Third Eye Blind, found, you know, their that album, started going through it. I realized, yeah, this sound, this sound I like. And it's not like what I hear in the hit music, you know, it's, it's different. Uh, of course, because stylistically, it's just not popular anymore. But then I started listening to much more 90s stuff. Uh, and then from there, I discovered Oasis and all these other great groups from, from the 90s. Uh, And then mostly, I just, I listened 
Now, starting in 2012, then especially in 2013, 2014, 2015, I really started listening a lot to music just from the 90s and early 2000s, mostly alternative rock. And then it started encompassing other genres, such as indie rock, um, even hard rock in some cases, uh, then punk, post-grunge, standard grunge from the early 90s, uh, and even pop in some cases. Then in 2016, especially late 2016, I began, you know, branching out even further uh, to starting, starting to include more selections from the 1980s, 70s, and 60s. And that's really molded itself into what I listen to today. Uh, I listen to mostly classics. I'm not a big fan of the hits right now. I don't know, I'm just not... That's not to say that... Because one distinction that needs to be made... Is that... Not being a fan of the music versus... Hating the people who make the music. For instance, let's look at Post Malone. I may not be... A big fan of his sound. I'm just not. It just doesn't... Again, I, I prefer the more the, the classics from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Although his one song, Circles, is uh, that one I do like. But just because I'm not a fan of much of his music, do I hate Post Malone? Do I think he's some talentless hack? No, not at all. I like him. I think he's talented. I support him. I may not be the biggest fan of his sound, but by all means, he's he's fine by me. Same thing even with Billie Eilish, you know, it's, again, her music may not be something that I really listen to, but as an artist, I think she's fantastic. So that's the one distinction that I think needs to be made, but anyway. Uh, so yeah, most of the time now I just I listen to that blend of, of music and again mostly uh, various types of rock, sometimes pop, but mostly rock, and all the subsets that we mentioned. But of course you go back into the sixties and stuff and I'll listen even to the, the more formulaic pop music from even the early sixties and then of course as things started getting more adventurous later on in the decade, uh, then you know, just branched out. It's there's just so much good music that I, I tune to. I'm not the biggest fan of 50s music, although some of the early rock and roll, you know, I, I don't mind. But like the crooners and all that stuff, I can't, I can't say I'm the biggest, the biggest fan of it. I, I'm, I'm just not. I'm not the biggest fan. But for instance, today, what was I listening to for the most part? One other thing that I should mention... And I think some people do this, some people don't. It's just an individual thing. It's like, if you really like a song, I'll just put it on repeat and I'll just listen to it over and over again. I'll listen to it probably dozens of times in a row. It just doesn't bother me. And I think some people are like, yeah, you know, I I do that too. 
Other people might be like, how can you listen to the same thing over and over without going crazy? I don't know, I just do. I like the way it sounds. And uh, that's it. So today, I mostly just listen to the same like, four or so songs. But anyway, I started it off with a good song by uh, Oasis. And it goes by the name Go Let It Out. Again, Go Let It Out by Oasis. Uh, this is off of their album Standing on the Shoulder of Giants from 2000. The album cover, I always, I've always really liked that album cover, just looking over Manhattan there, and you can see the Empire State Building, and even the, even the Twin Towers in the background. Um, but then I made the, the jump. I listened to some Oasis. I listened to really just that song. Only that one song. And then I went over and uh, started listening to the Steve Miller Band. And mostly I listened to The Joker by Steve Miller Band. But then I went over and I listened to Jet Airliner for a bit. Uh, listened to Rockin' Me as well by uh, Steve Miller Band. And I also listened to Take the Money and Run by Steve Miller Band. And uh, that's pretty much just what I listened to today. So, you know, I, I went from very early 2000s Oasis over to, uh, you know, 70s uh, Steve Miller Band. You can kind of see how it is. I just, uh, I'll skip between too. So I'll go from 90s to 60s to 80s and to early 2000s and back to the early 60s and so on. So that's just my uh, my musical taste for the time being but can it will it change probably uh finally in the world of television i don't watch all that much tv now i can't say i am a you know a fiend for netflix either um i just here's what i do i don't i don't buy into cable anymore i'm just not you know, I, I just think that the money that would usually be spent for cable television, just for me personally, could be spent on better things. So, uh, I, I don't have cable at all. Because there's so many channels, yes, they say, oh yeah, if you, you know, do this, we'll give you so many channels. How many of those channels will I actually ever watch? How, how many of those am I really paying for? Eh, hell, that depends. And then... With just an antenna, you can still receive over-the-air broadcast television for free. Uh, which there's fine variety on that. So, I, I don't, you know, I don't do cable anymore. Uh, so I just have an antenna set up, and uh, I just receive the over-the-air television. And, I mean, that's all that I need. Um, I, I, I watch the local news. All the various affiliates, the uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. And I'll switch between them just to make sure I can see what's going on. And uh, I watch that for local news. Sometimes I'll watch the uh, national coverage, sometimes I won't. It's just, you know how it is, it's all so partisan these days. And Otherwise I watch lots of crime shows. I enjoy, I enjoy watching those. Forensic Files, of course, it's a classic, though. 
all these other true crime shows of which their names I can't even remember because there's so many of them uh, I'm a fan of. I, I always watch those. The first 48 is a, a favorite. That's always a good one because that's the real deal. You know, it's not like some sort of dramatization. Uh, this is legitimate. I mean, they're actually... These are real cases as it's progressing. So the first 48 I'm always a fan of. And then there's one show called Intervention, which is pretty good. Where, uh, well, as the name implies, it's about people who are addicted to hard drugs and uh, are just in a really, really bad spot. You know, their health is in decline. Their, everything seems to be going down the drain. So they're kind of set up in this intervention by their family or their friends or something and trying to get things straightened out. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, that's why I, I also like that show, because it's real. Uh, there's been so many episodes of it. But at the end, they always do a little follow-up. You know, if the person agrees to do treatment and try to go through a rehabilitation program, they give a follow-up at the end. And sometimes it's not all smiles. It's not like one of those things that says, Oh, I uh, see, um, this person quit abusing heroin and uh, went to treatment and uh, now they're a CEO. See, don't do drugs and you'll be a, a CEO. And, you know, <laughs> or these ridiculous things. Uh, instead, it's the real deal. Sometimes they say, yes, you know, well, the person was able to complete treatment and has been sober, you know, since 2012 or something. Other times, they'll tell it like it is and they'll say, uh, you know, well, uh, after she left treatment, relapsed, and uh, overdosed and died. But that's that's real. That's reality. Or, uh, you know, after completing treatment, um, relapsed and was arrested for battery, and, you know, it's... Well, there's that. All right, sometimes you get people who will relapse, but then they'll go back and, and they'll get things sorted out. But it's just, it's not like everything is a success story because that's how it, that's how the real world is. And I like that. So I just watch those types of shows. Sometimes I watch still like these, um, you know, shows like Pawn Stars. Those are always fun, you know, those types of fun little shows, um, documentaries. NHK uh, Japan is a channel that I'm very thankful I can receive, and that's been a new favorite of mine. NHK uh, World, Japan, their English-language television service. I probably have that on uh, for several hours every day. And uh, I just really, really like their programs uh, immensely. And they get really... Number one helps broaden your your knowledge about Japan, but... It's just a fantastic television network. So uh, I'm a big fan of NHK as well. I enjoy listening to them on the shortwave, but because their English broadcasts are a little difficult to receive in North America, uh, their television service is a godsend and it's uh, very enjoyable. But I don't really watch any of the series. I don't binge watch anything. You know, some of the last, I remember big series that were popular 
that I ever really watched was The Walking Dead. And um, I don't even remember what, what season I stopped watching them at. I don't know if it was season six or season seven. It's just once they got to Alexandria, everything just kind of blended together and I pulled the plug. I just wasn't, because it wasn't the show that I, I began watching it for. And also all the gore, all the needless gore was very, it was bothersome to me. So I just, I, I felt like this stuff wasn't really necessary and I didn't want to see it, <laughs> you know? So that's why I pulled the plug there. And, and same thing with Fear the Walking Dead, which had so much potential and season one was okay, had some issues. But then season two, they went into Mexico and then it became, oh, The Walking Dead 2.0. You know, fun in the sun in Mexico or something. And it's, again, that's not what I was watching this show for. So I pulled the plug on that and that's about it. But that's my little story about my escapades with The Walking Dead and the company. Thank you anyway for your email. I was a bit long-winded, but happy to talk about these things. All right. Going over to Dorian from France said, uh, I thought I'd reach out to let you know that I listened to your broadcast online and the podcast. Uh, I'd also like to take this opportunity to express my admiration for your wonderful work. Keep it up. Well, thank you, Dorian, over in France for your kind words, feedback, and support. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go over to Linda in Wisconsin. She says, have a question for you. And maybe you could answer it for me on your next podcast. I know that you like to promote listener correspondence on your radio shows and podcasts. How much email does this generate on an average day for you? Do you read all of your emails and do you have a system for keeping track of them? I was just curious as to how things work behind the scenes, so to speak. So thank you, Linda in Wisconsin. Uh, the, e the, the email is always a busy place. And I would say per week, uh, at, at this point in time, and it always fluctuates. See, there's no definitive amount of emails that I can say like, oh yeah, it always falls within this range per day, because it doesn't. I mean, it really does fluctuate from one day to the next. Um, but per week... And again, this is a, a big range, but this is just how much it can vary. Um, but anywhere between 500 and 1,000 uh, emails are usually sent per week. And uh, I always try to, to either respond verbally or even in writing to as many as I can. Um, you know, I, I just I try my best. Of course, it, it's usually a task that I try to do one day each week. And usually it's something that would take a, a good you know, five hours of continuous work, five, six hours. But that's what I do. I kind of just set it all aside for one day each week and then just sit there and uh, crack at it and uh, try my best anyway. Now, by the day, there really isn't any sort of breakdown. For instance, just on a little bit of a side note, on, I guess it was Saturday morning, I have the one broadcast of my radio show, AM 
on AM 1300 WNQM, which uh, is an AM station in Nashville, Tennessee, a uh, 50 kilowatt transmitter, and they usually they get a good signal out, of course, in the immediate vicinity uh, in Nashville and uh, across even uh, much of Tennessee, but even all the way down in Florida. Uh, I was always surprised when I could I could tune the radio to thirteen hundred at night and hear my voice on the AM dial there. It's kind of it's surreal to uh, you know on a car radio or whatever listen to <laughs> listen to that all the way down here so far away. So I mean for an AM station though to be able to get listenable coverage a thousand miles away is fantastic. How many people listen to the Skywave uh, signal of AM? Who knows. But the fact that that's, that's possible uh, is great. Because I know that there are some AM stations that can't even, you know, be picked up five miles from the transmitter. Um, but WNQM does have a very good coverage area. And they're affiliated with WWCR Shortwave, um, which is actually how I, I wound up on, on WNQM as well, uh, just through discussions there and just through talking with the, the management and their fans of the YouTube channel and uh, was just able to, to work out a good deal with the airtime and all of that. But the AM broadcast, uh, which went out late at night on Saturday on 1300, uh, the feedback for that, I would actually say was record record setting uh, it was probably the most that ever came in at least for any single maybe for any single broadcast that I had done on uh, I mean since the five years I've been doing this show it was record set I could not believe it uh, I did promote it on the social media as I as I usually do but people were just saying that maybe just reception conditions were better than usual I don't know but the amount of feedback that came in for that was was crazy uh, I think in the span of that one hour from 3 to 4 a.m. I think like 250 pieces of uh, correspondence from across the whole eastern seaboard came in couldn't believe it. I remember I was refreshing the page and I just couldn't believe it. You know, every single minute there were, you know, like eight or nine emails coming in at times. So, uh, of course, that Saturday there was a huge influx. Um, but other days it'll be much quieter and only a few dozen emails will come in. So you just can't predict it one day to the next. Uh, you really can't. So that's why I just give the range that I do. But either way, it's a busy place, but I, I try to make the most of it. And I do try to sort through various things, because again, you get the different pieces of feedback and different types. For instance, you might have lots of song requests for the music show, right? That's a very different than, let's say, a written piece of correspondence for the online podcast, or uh, let's say a shortwave uh, reception report. or, you know, trolls or spam or whatever. So I just sort through it and categorize it 
So the reception reports are marked with this, the song requests are marked with that, fan art is marked with this, topic suggestions are marked with that, etc. So then it also helps sort through it. So then I know if I want to reply to something, I'll reply it, reply to emails categorically. And uh, that just really helps for the sake of efficiency. So you can kind of go off of a certain thing and uh, just be able to reply very efficiently and um, quickly. So that's why, but that's why some people, they might say, oh, you know, you get so many emails. I shouldn't write in. He's not going to see it. I see all the emails that come in. I, I, I read them all. I sort through whatever I can, and I try to read whatever I can on this show. And just because it's a busy place doesn't mean that I overlook everything, because I don't. I don't. And I take a lot of time every week to uh, sorting through it and replying to what I can. It's a busy place, but it's, a, it's, it's something that's very enjoyable. It's really the lifeblood of uh, all the broadcasts that I do. You know? So, that's uh, how it is. Lots of variability day to day. All right. We have an email coming in from Imogen, who writes, My question is in regards to the apolitical nature of your channel. And to expand on that more directly, have you ever been targeted with criticism for this specific choice to omit blatant personal political leanings to your audience. I ask this because not many popular channels have been able to maintain being apolitical for as long as you have. I hope I've not caused any offense with this question, and I apologize if this is a question you are asked often and have thus already given an answer to. So thank you, Imogen, for your question. No offense um, taken, and no worries there. It's a perfectly legitimate question to have. I have gotten criticism for being apolitical, but I've pretty much gotten criticism for every other thing that I do, too, so I wouldn't say that there's any sort of inordinate amount of, of people that come in and say, um, you know, why are you, why don't you side with this or side with that? So, number one, I, I, I try to be apolitical in what I do for two reasons. Number one, because of the political environment, especially since 2016. Maybe it's not like this internationally, but here in the United States, politics is now the most vitriolic, well, at least one of the most vitriolic subjects you could ever imagine. And one problem that I've always had with just the political system as it is, especially the mainstream one, Democrat, Republican. And it's one of these two, it's like sports teams. You have to pick a side and you have to, you have to support it 100%, so it seems. And if someone is rooting for the other team, oh, that's a problem. You can't have that anymore. You can't have that. I'm not saying that that's how everyone is. It's just Sometimes you see this attitude promoted where it's like, if someone disagrees with you, uh, they are, you know, like subhumans. It's like they, they aren't even people if they aren't one of us. 
it's us versus them. There's no in-between, no putting differences aside, no working together. Instead, we just focus on the differences and we pour the salt into the wounds. Instead of stitching it back up, instead of putting a band-aid on it, we just pour the salt into it, so it seems. Just make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's going to be a day, I tell you, when that wound is going to become so large, it is going to be inseparable, and what are the consequences of it going to be? Well, it's going to be limited, and it's not going to be good. That's all that I'm going to say there. We could push each other further and further apart. All we want, but I don't know. I don't know. I just, I disagree with that in every regard. In that, because you have so many fervent attitudes, again, for one side or the next, it's gone so far as to just anger people the fact that I don't even, you know, so-called so pick a side and publicly express it. So it just angers people just for the fact they say, oh, you're sitting on the sidelines. And they get so angry with it. Not a lot, mind you. Very, very few. But I have had people who are, who are like that. Get very angry at me for not doing that. Secondly, though, well, when it comes down to my views, of course I have my own opinions. Of course I have my viewpoints. I get sick when I try to tune in to content that I enjoy for a reason that is not political and people find a way to make it political or the content creator decides to take something that really shouldn't be political and politicizes it and I feel like something is just being forced at me and I'm not a fan of that so that's another reason why with all the work that I do I try not to force any sorts of political uh, attitudes at people because as a viewer I get so sick of it when channels that I would watch tell you that you know you should support this or you should support that you should vote for these people or not vote for those people etc and I'm just thinking well I guess I see what they're trying to do but one of the whole reasons why I was doing this is to try to avoid the politics which dominates the news 24-7. I try to avoid that and then it just finds a way to intrude into this too. It's like you can't get away from it. So what I do every, every major election, because I truly feel... This is the right thing to do, at least for me, and it's this personal belief. I'm not saying this is universal, or this is just how I, I personally feel. I did this in 2016 for the U.S. presidential election. I did this in 2018 for the U.S. midterm elections. Maybe I'll do it in 2020. I don't know if I will this time or not. But I said, with these elections coming up, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. All I, all I ask 
is that you research the issues, research the candidates, and vote for who you feel is best suited for the job. Be that a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or someone in the Green Party or someone in any of these other third parties or an Independent. If you don't like anyone, write in. But number one, vote. Who you vote for, that's not my business. That's your business. But make an informed decision as you feel it. Research it. Try your best to understand it. Make a choice based off of uh, the information you have at your disposal, which is usually a great deal. Secondly, though, everyone focuses on the big elections. You focus on the presidential election, or you focus on the election for governor or for senator. But most of the time when we go to the ballot, there are other positions that you're voting for too that are just as important, you know, probably even more important when it comes to that direct impact on your daily life. The local decision makers that may do things that, yes, really will help you or hurt you. And most of the time, those local elections, no one, no one cares about them. Everyone looks at the, the big, the big shots. Who's running for president? No one cares who's running for mayor or any of that. But who, who is in charge of your local town, again, might affect you more than who is the president. Because even with whoever the president ends up being, you still have the system of checks and balances. You still have Congress, the Supreme Court, and all of that. Local propositions, local ordinances usually don't go through all of that. That's why the votes for that is so important. If you don't even care who the president is going to be, then just write in. But focus on the local issues that are really unique to your area and make sure you pay attention to who is down ballot as well. Uh, so, you know, who is running for, uh, you know, your state senate or state house of representatives? Who's running for the U.S. House of Representatives? Who are the local politicians? Then you also have other issues on the uh, ballot, usually propositions of some sort to vote yes or no to or whatever. That is so important. So I just try to tell people, look, who you vote for is who you vote for. And I'm not going to tell you who you should or shouldn't. But number one, research it and make the decision that feels right to you. And don't let other people bully you into voting for one person or another. When you're there, doing your vote, that's between you and no one else if you don't want it to be. So don't let people pressure you one way or another. But secondly, I just try to say, please don't lose sight of the local issues too, because those are so, so darn important. You can't forget about those. Get no coverage on the mainstream media, but my goodness, are they important? They certainly are. So I just try to tell people voting is important. 
It's your right to do it and exercise that right, whatever you do. I know if the pandemic continues into November, which is a good chance it will, there's still ways research, uh, mail-in vote, you know, absentee ballots. Research that. There's ways you can vote from your from your home and see what you can do. Request one if, you know, we don't know how the infection is going to be then. But if you're worried about it, and let's say it gets worse then, there's still ways that you can, you can do that without even going into a polling place. So that's my view there, and that's what I try to promote. And I mean, you better believe a lot of the reception for those types of videos that I make uh, is usually good. People, uh, more people than you would think respond and they say, you know, it's very refreshing to see someone not trying to shove their, their, their views down my throat. Uh, and it's appreciated by people on all sides of the political spectrum, all sides, uh, the left and the right and everyone in between. But of course, again, you do get people who get upset. And they say, well, uh, you know, I think you should have been endorsing so-and-so because the other side is cancerous and uh, they're evil and uh, that's going to lead to the destruction of America as we see it fit. And uh, again, you get that said about <laughs> anyone and everyone. Any side you want is someone that'll say that. <laughs> you know, whether there's truth to that or isn't. And um, that's, <laughs> that's where it stands. But I hope that cleared it up a little bit, so... I just have my way of kind of going about things. Alrighty. You're listening in to VORW International, the mailbag show. Getting to some more good emails and pieces of feedback. Um, we've got Robert in Castleberry, Florida. As a fellow Central Floridian, how do you feel about how COVID-19 is affecting your social life? I currently can't attend my local college campus and feel like my life is being put on hold. Hanging out with my best friends and meeting new people is nearly impossible right now. I personally miss getting public subs or going to the movies to munch on popcorn with my friends. While time passes and businesses are being reopened, I can't bring myself to fully go back to the way things were. I wonder if this is out of paranoia or taking precautions. Either way, I can't help but blame myself for feeling so socially isolated. Well, thank you, Robert, in Central Florida. Well, number one, please don't blame yourself. Um, because that's just not true. So please don't blame yourself for, you know, feeling this way. Because, again, that is not true. Uh, it is the situation at hand. You know, it's because of the pandemic. Because these places are closed... I mean, you literally cannot go to them even if you want to. It's not like you're the one that's holding yourself back. And, uh, no, these places are closed. And even when they reopen and if you still feel that anxiety and you're still, you still maybe just want to stay in and play it safe, don't blame yourself. It's a perfectly natural reaction. To tell you the truth, I think that's a smart thing to do as well. Because there's so much that we don't know about this virus. There's new things that are coming out every single day, we don't know what this, this thing really is. It's a novel virus. We don't know what it's capable of doing. Just a couple weeks ago, nobody even had a clue 
Uh, about the effects of, of uh, SARS coronavirus too, COVID-19 really, I should say, uh, that it had on children. You know, about the condition that's going around now similar to uh, Kawasaki disease, uh, formerly called Pediatric Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome, or PMIS. And, um, you know, this is not Kawasaki disease, it's just a new complication of the coronavirus impacting children, you know, like six weeks after they've had the virus, that, again, has never been seen before. This isn't Kawasaki disease, it's just something similar to it, that it's the closest thing that we could even relate it to. We didn't even know this thing could happen. And now all of a sudden, although rare, all these poor kids are starting to get this inflammation, uh, persistent fever, uh, even organ dysfunction, some of which are having it so severe they're dying from this. We didn't know this was gonna happen. So I hate to fear monger, and I don't think it is. I think it's just a true statement. We don't know what's down the road. We really don't, no one does. So we're still learning about this. I think you have every, every justifiable reason that if you don't really wanna go out and do these things right away, even when they reopen, I don't think you're being paranoid. Um, or I don't think that there's anything wrong with you. I think you're being reasonable. Someone does want to take the risk and go out, you know, that's up to you. If you want to stay in, that's up to you too. There's nothing wrong with either of those things. Just be responsible either way. And yeah, it's just one of those things. For me, how is it impacting me? Uh, well, I'm extremely introverted and almost to the point of a recluse. So being that I pretty much stay confined inside at home anyway it's not like the quarantine and the lockdown is driving me crazy as a matter of fact I, you know nothing has changed uh, considering the amount of time that i usually stay at home so that hasn't changed but what has changed of course so many of the places that are 24 hours aren't anymore very very few are so that's very disappointing. Everything is shut down now. So many restaurants are shut down still or failing or all of these things. And I, you know, maybe I am paranoid, but I still don't feel safe, you know, going to these big places. All right, thank you for your question. Renee writes in, says, I love and subscribe to both of your YouTube channels and I've been watching more and uh, I've been watching more due to the current uh, stay-at-home situation. I would love to hear about the beautiful orange cat who co-starred in an energy drink review a few years ago. Is he possibly interested and available for another performance? Well... I wish I could give you a good answer. I wish I could give you a happy answer and say that he's doing great and that, you know, maybe he'll be in future videos. I can't, though. I mean, number one, because he was never my cat. Never, never my cat. 
Secondly, though, his name was Willie. And he won't be in any more videos, sadly, because he's dead. And I wish I could tell you that he died naturally. That his time was up and, you know, and that was it. I can't either. He wasn't hit by a car. He was... Someone intentionally went out of their way and killed him. Some disgusting person, a few years back, went out, intentionally fed him antifreeze. He was poisoned, he died. I just hope he didn't suffer. You know, he was a, he was a good cat, and it's just absolutely despicable that someone would go out of their way and kill such an innocent creature that never did anything to them. You know, that's just a sick, inhumane person that'll go out and do that just for fun. I wish I could tell you something that wasn't so depressing, but I can't. Because that's just, that's the truth of it. It was a good cat, though, Willie. Willie the cat. He was a good one. Let me find out. Let me look what video he was in. But if I just search on YouTube, review Brock Cat, you know. From three years ago, um, June 1st, 2016. Energy Crisis, Energy Drink Review 150, Red Bull Summer Edition. And yeah, you know, he just, six minutes in, he hops up on the counter there, you know, unannounced, and he's just doing his thing. And, um, um well, it is depressing. There's no other word about it. Every time I think about it, I get sad because he was, he was a good cat. He wasn't my pet, but, you know, you see, you see these, these animals enough that you get to, you get to know them. That's what I like about cats. You know, I'm more of a cat person than a dog person, but you know, cats, cats and dogs, I, I like them both. But again, I, I, I like cats more. And, uh, you know, every cat has its own little individual quirks. They have their own little personalities, their own little way of doing things. It's disappointing. So I'm really sorry about that, Renee. I, I wish I could have had a better answer for you. I know this was, you know, the ultimate mood killer, but uh, that's just the honest truth about it all. So thank you, Renee, for writing in. Um, an anonymous listener checks in with a question, of course, we get quite a bit. Uh, I want to listen to your radio show and other stations like it. Uh, therefore, I need a shortwave radio. Uh, most of the radios I've found are in the hundreds range. So are there any good budget shortwave radios uh, that you could recommend to me? Absolutely. I'll just throw a couple of recommendations your way right now. You can find them all at Amazon.com slash shop slash the report of the week. So uh, here's just a couple budget radios that I think I think do the job and do it well. 
Uh, the Texun PL310ET, good portable radio for 48 bucks. The Texun PL380 for 49 bucks. That's another good radio. Uh, you have the Kato KA450, which is a good emergency radio for 49 bucks. Um, for 50 bucks, the Texun PL360. For 70 bucks, the Texun PL398BT, which is another good one. Uh, if you want to talk real low budget, and again, just understand that the real low budget radios may not be uh, the, the best quality, but they'll pick up the strong signals, you know, they'll still get something. Something's better than nothing, most likely, but just be wary of that. Um, but one radio that for just 23 bucks. Eaton Mini Compact, that's E-T-O-N, Eaton, Mini Compact AM-FM shortwave radio. It's really small. You could fit that, like, in your pocket, your shirt pocket, your pants pocket, anything. Very portable. You also got the Retikess, that's R-E-T-E-K-E-S-S. Someone said it was the Retikess, but I think... Or a retikes, but I don't know. I, I, I think saying it as retikes it sounds better. Comes off the tongue a lot cooler. That's R E T E K E S S retikes V one one five, and that's just for uh, thirty bucks. Sometimes it's discounted for even just fifteen bucks. So there's some recommendations. This is V O R W. All right, let's uh, power through a couple of uh, more questions. If you're listening in, of course, uh, do con- do consider and just understand that this broadcast doesn't exist. It, it doesn't it doesn't continue without your help, without your support. I know the show might not be much, but obviously, with the situation being what it is, and with with the fact that a good majority of my shows uh, get demonetized because I discuss current events, and, you know, that's part of the show. That's just something that I want to talk about. And now the fact that, you know, this whole channel might not exist soon, uh, you know, the future for this is uncertain. But no matter what, regardless of what happens on one platform or another, I want to keep doing this show for as long as I possibly can. And if things get even more limited, your support is even more important. So if you've made it this far, you like what you hear, you want to hear more of it, you want to keep it going, please consider a donation, large or small, anything helps, to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com via PayPal. Again, v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com via PayPal or via Patreon at patreon.com slash the report of the week. Any and every bit helps, and I thank you in advance. Okay, uh, we've got a couple more emails coming in. We hear from Julie, who writes in, says, My name is Julie, I'm a relatively new listener, and I like your style and calm demeanor. find it very refreshing compared to the loud, brass, brash voices uh, that often make themselves heard on YouTube. I found your opinions on your latest podcast interesting, uh, particularly the ones about ants or superhero movies. 
I'm curious to hear your thoughts on K-pop and its newfound popularity in the West. Have you heard any shortwave broadcasts from South Korea? Have a great rest of your week and take care. Thank you, Julie, for writing in. K-pop doesn't bother me one single bit. Uh, again, it's, it's one of those genres that, while I can't say I've really listened to it all that much, doesn't bother me. To me, it seems completely inoffensive. From some of the songs that I've heard, uh, some of them I like the sound, you know, it's... But I can't say that I am a, a huge fan, you know, I'm not really too familiar with, with that many of the groups, you know, of course there's BTS, but... I, you know, if I were to, to try to say any more, anyone who's familiar with K-pop would, would know I'm just BSing, right, that I'm not, not versed in this in any way, shape, or form. For the heck of it, I mean, I'm open to all different types of music. Anyone has any recommendations on something to listen to, a song you really like, whatever, feel free to send it in, I'll give it a listen. So uh, it's certainly something I'm open to. I, I have no sort of hatred toward K-pop or anything. So uh, there you have that. Uh, when it comes down to shortwave broadcasts from South Korea, I have. I have, as a matter of fact. Because uh, South Korea's government, they have their own international broadcaster. It's called KBS World Radio. And it broadcasts in a variety of languages uh, through transmitters in South Korea. But it also uh, purchases some airtime on other stations uh, overseas as well. Now, let me check real quick. Because there's this site that has all the, you know, schedules and stuff. So I'm just, I'm just curious myself, because it's, it's a station that I have listened to, but I haven't looked them up in a while. I'm just curious what languages they broadcast in. There we go, KBS World Radio. Okay. So they do have a variety of, of broadcasts, uh, some of which do target North America. They have broadcasts in English, Spanish, and Korean, all beamed toward the United States. Okay, uh, for listeners in Europe, they have many more. They have, uh, uh, they have German, French, Russian, English, Korean uh, broadcasts targeting Europe. But the thing that's annoying is that while they still do target the United States on shortwave, which is relatively rare nowadays, a lot of broadcasts broadcasters, I should say, just uh, forget about the U.S. now. They don't even bother targeting them, which doesn't really make much sense because I've been on the air for five years and there's, you know, a very clear uh, audience still in the U.S. to shortwave. I mean, I could go count the emails just in the inbox and you have tens of thousands of verifiable listeners right in the U.S., some people would just say, oh, there's 500 people. No, there's way more than that. But I just don't think, you know, they realize it. But uh, KBS World Radio, see, the problem is that they're broadcast in Spanish to the U.S. Uh, is from a transmitter in uh, South Carolina that they bought the airtime on. So obviously, you know, it goes out with 250 
thousand uh, watts, it's extremely strong. You can pick up the Spanish broadcast clear as day, you know, in the U.S. But their English broadcast, which is the one that I really want to listen to, you know, uh, that's the one I tune in for, uh, is just a mess. Because even though it's beamed to the U.S., the problem is that you can easily get a signal from South Korea to the United States. But the problem is that they use a bad frequency that just is is on, you know, a part of the uh, shortwave spectrum that just when they broadcast it, it just doesn't make it over here. You know, certain frequencies work, you know, because certain frequencies propagate at certain times. And they broadcast to the U.S. at 9 a.m., but during that time, it's usually the lower frequencies that would get the best signal, you know, and then as the day kind of, you know, as the day starts to progress, then it kind of moves to the higher frequencies. It's very complicated, but just know certain things work at certain times. And for some reason that no one can explain, they decide to go with this frequency that just does not work. The signal just doesn't reach the U.S. nine times out of ten. It's just too high. It just doesn't make it over here. You know, instead they're broadcast to the U.S. They try to beam it north from South Korea over eastern Russia and then I guess over part of the North Pole so that it'll come through Canada and then, you know, blanket down across the entire uh, United States. But because the frequency that they use doesn't really work, most of the time the signal shoots up into Siberia and then it fizzles out there. It never makes it out of eastern Russia. It's like, what's the point? You know, maybe there's one or two English speakers over there, you know, in a remote cabin or something that can listen to them, but otherwise it's it's useless. And people have mentioned, you know, some people will be like, well, maybe uh, they just don't know that the uh, the frequency that they use is bad. Like, but now they know. I mean, people have sent them so many emails over that. And they always say the same thing. They say, oh, the management is going to look into it. And they've never changed it. They've had this terrible frequency for years and years. Now, on rare occasions, the signal does get through. Most of the time, you'll go to that frequency, you'll just hear dead air. Um, but, you know, again, maybe one out of every ten times, the signal will come through. And of that, about half of those times, reception is just really, really fluttery. So the amount of times you can actually get a signal and have it as good, listenable reception is very rare. Usually just during, um, you know, very spotty during the uh, late spring and early to uh, midsummer, and that's it. But I've heard them very clearly here. You know, it all depends. Back in 2014, I was tuning around once and I heard them so clear it was the first time I actually heard their English service to North America. And it was so crystal clear, you know, no fancy antenna, just indoors listening in. Came across them. I wasn't even sure what station it was at first, because I'd never heard it before. 
Um, you know, but for instance, like this morning, I tried to tune them in and I could actually get the signal, but it was just very fluttery. You know, I could kind of hear like every maybe third word that they were saying, which just isn't good enough to listen. But I would say like three days ago, I tuned in and I was able to hear them just fine. So it's just very, very hit or miss. I mean, I appreciate that they have an English service to North America still, and I'll take whatever I can get. You know, I'm just thankful that on some days, at least, I could still hear them. But it's it's still disappointing that they, they choose this awful frequency for no apparent discernible reason. But uh, as a matter of fact, in terms of K-pop, if anyone was wondering, yes, KBS World Radio does play K-pop music on their broadcast. I think every Saturday they have a show called the K-pop Connection. I happen to know that because one of the days, um, one reception was extremely clear fairly recently within the last month. Uh, I caught them, especially I was trying that frequency every day when the coronavirus was really big over there. I'm looking for updates right from the source. And uh, one day they did come in crystal clear, but they skipped the news and they went right into the K-pop connection, which it's like an, you know, I would say like an hour long um, hit music show where they just count down all, I guess, the hits of the uh, K-pop, you know, during that week and just play them. So you do hear K-pop music on KBS World Radio. But they also have other programs too, news, current affairs, cultural programs, you name it. All sorts of fun little things. So they're a good station. I just wish reception was better because uh, I like what I like what they've got. And I'd listen a lot more if uh, I could get a signal. But yes, they do a broadcast on the shortwave. And, um, you know, it's maybe, I mean, the one part of the U.S. where maybe you would get okay reception more often than not maybe if you live in alaska you know the signal might make it a little bit better there before it fades out who's to say but um that's what we've got uh, for those of you who do want to try to listen in in the united states uh the broadcast is at 9 a.m eastern uh seven days a week 9 a.m eastern on the frequency of 15.575 kilohertz. That's 15.575 megahertz. And that's from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, right in the morning. So that's when you can listen. And uh, yeah, that's uh, KBS World Radio. So thank you for your question. Um, we've got an email coming in from Krem who says, this isn't really a question, but sea cucumbers can be harvested with no limit in the U.S. Most fish and animals have hunting limits and seasons, but you can eat all the sea, cu sea cucumbers. There is nothing stopping you. You can rule over them like a god, an angry god. I thought you could use this information. Have a nice day. Well, thank you, Krem. This, this, is, vi this is vital information. And, uh, yeah, you better believe, because of this email, this changes everything. This is, this is a game changer. I'm gonna go, as soon as I'm done recording this, I'm gonna put the microphone down, 
I'm going to get over to the coast of Florida, go over to the east coast of it especially. You want to get into the Atlantic waters. Going to try to find the nearest port, befriend a couple fishermen, hopefully. That'd be, you know, preferable. If I have to bribe them, you know, I'll, look, I'll do whatever I have to do. I don't care. And we're going to go out. We're going to get some sea cucumbers. And yeah, you better believe I'm going to collect as many sea cucumbers as possible. And I'm not going to do anything bad. I'm just going to train them, make sure they know what they're doing. And then they're going to be a full-blown private security force because you can't take any chances after pissing off all those ghost ants so I got I gotta I gotta do this so thank you Krem for this absolutely vital information all right now we're in the final stretch of the uh, program we have an email coming in from Harper says I'm a listener from Cincinnati Ohio just wanted to share my appreciation for your show, especially with the four-hour program the other day. It's been a really great way to pass the time during the quarantine. You're right on in thinking uh, that it's great to have on in the background. I work a factory job, which has been pretty stressful due to the pandemic, and listening to you while I work has really helped keep me calm when things get overwhelming. Whether you're chatting and telling us stories, filling us in on the news, we're just joking around. I really enjoy the show. By the way, I had to be in Nashville a couple weeks ago, and we ended up in the middle of that big storm he mentioned on the air. And it was super scary after those tornadoes uh, that had destroyed part of the city in March. They updated the weather warning sirens after that, and it sounded super eerie during the storm, like something from a scary movie. We only temporarily lost power, but it was a crazy experience nonetheless. Thanks again. Keep up the good work. So thank you, Harper, for checking in. Um, we've got an email from an anonymous listener just says, what are your thoughts on cabinets? Uh, cabinets. No, cabinets. I don't have a problem with cabinets. Uh, so I am not part of the anti-cabinet lobby, uh, as some initially thought I was. Uh, as a matter of fact, I am a big supporter of cabinets because you can use them to put a lot of uh, useful things in. You could store... You can store food in cabinets. You can store items in cabinets. You can put anything you want in cabinets. Uh, you know, theoretically, you can make a giant cabinet, kind of squeeze yourself into it, and uh, you know, live in there like a like a like a nest. You know, you can do that. Um, you know, you can have a cabinet where you can, you know, put the secret stash in there. Um, you could have a cabinet for your shortwave radios, right? Of course, the big collection. I mean, you can you can just set up cabinets for aesthetic purposes. Some people, they legitimately do that. They just think a room looks better with cabinets, but no, I am a fan of them, and I use them regularly, so cabinets are nice. I am a fan, so a thumbs up. Uh, you can officially say that I endorse cabinets, so thank you for writing in. We got an email from um, Maya in Australia, who says, My sister Tash and I started watching your videos and listening to your show uh, this year, and we're totally hooked. And we even ordered a shortwave radio. We're excited to tinker around with it. Anyway, the reason I'm emailing you is because I think you and your listeners 
would be very interested in the movie Contact from 1997, written by Carl Sagan. It's a movie about how it would play out if we found extraterrestrial life, and it's so insightful and emotional that it's brought me to tears multiple times. There are no words for how amazing it is. Sagan's series Cosmos is also super cool. So thank you, Maya, in Australia, and to Tash as well, two of you listening in. Contact from 1997. Let me check this right now because I want to... You know, I'm not sure if I've seen this movie or not. I know 100% I have heard of the film. No, see, I've never seen I've never seen the movie Contact. Never seen it. Though, uh, I'd certainly be open to checking it out, no problem at all. Although I have seen the television series Cosmos, right, which was by Carl Sagan as well. And, uh, that was always, a that was always a fun, a fun program. Very, very insightful and informative, although, you know, of course, by today's standards, some of the uh, information on that show might be a little dated, because things really do change. Um, but I think the premise still holds up very well. And uh, I've always, I've always enjoyed it. Sometimes I'll, I'll rewatch the old episodes, and it could just be fun, fun to watch. So uh, thank you for checking in for your email. And let's see what else we have. We've also got an email from Amy who says, How are you during these days? Hope you're staying safe during these uncertain times, and hope this finds you in good health. Wanted to send an email to thank you for the videos and radio shows. Recently, as in two months ago, my university closed, and I was forced to move back in with my folks until September 2020, or even later, depending on when I can go back to my dorm. It's been really taxing being back at home, because I guess I don't have the best relationship with my parents. And all the stress of the online classes, demanding parents, and low finances, it's caused my anxiety to act up again immensely. I went back into some of your podcast archives on YouTube and found a lot of comfort in listening to the show you made in December of last year. I'm sorry that you struggled with the anxiety as well, but sharing your experiences, thoughts, and advice about how you handle anxiety and try to overcome it really gives me hope. Thank you for sharing your experiences, because I'm sure it requires a lot of courage to speak out on such personal topics, but I hope you know that many people you're helping out. Sometimes the best way to help out someone who's going through a hard time is to just let them know they're not alone. And thank you for doing that. I've been trying to do things I enjoy doing during my free time, such as writing short stories and listening to your podcasts to get my mind off of things and to feel like I'm actually making some sort of progress in life. But as I see it right now, at least I can look forward to college reopening in the fall or winter maybe. And thanks for helping keep my head up. Sorry for the long email, but... I have a bad habit of rambling. Thanks for taking the time to read this, and I hope you're taking care of yourself as well. So thank you, Amy, for checking in. And uh, it's a pleasure. It's it's great to hear from you. And uh, it means a lot to know that uh, that podcast that I did a while ago about the anxiety still has a lasting impact in those ways. It's more than I ever could have asked. So thank you. It means a lot, and I, I hope your anxiety issues 
get better as well. But that podcast, it might not be much. And, you know, it's not guaranteed to really do a single thing. But it's there. If anyone is going through that, and maybe it'll help, maybe it won't. But it's there for anyone who's interested. So, uh, thank you. I'm so glad to hear that that helped you out. And uh, I hope things just get better for you. You know, despite the situation as it is, there will be a day when this will be over. That this will be over. And uh, at least some degree. Some degree, I mean. You know, of normalcy and at least safety. Because you could, you could reopen everything right now, but it doesn't mean it'll be safe. But there will be a time when it might not be totally normal, but things will be, you know, safe again. And uh, it, it will come. That day will arrive. It will, so just, that is something to look forward to. You can't pin down a date for that right now, but it will happen at some point. Some point in the not-too-distant future. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's about it for today's show. Thank you for listening in. And any feedback, again, is welcome to V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Be safe, take care, do hang in there, and uh, we'll catch you again soon on the next show. Until then, take care. This is V-O-R-W.